0: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bottom of the Bill. I'm sorry, were you going to say something, Anton?
1: No, it's okay. You're doing a great job. Were you we no. going to say
0: the same thing that I was going to say? No, go ahead.
1: You, you, you. Sorry, I, I'm actually interested to in see how you started off this time. I did start it off pretty
0: well, but I felt like I... Good.
1: There's always a tinge of uncertainty when you start it off, though. It's always like you don't feel totally comfortable starting it off. Story of my life. Yeah, okay. I'll tell you that right now. Um, this week, we had our good friend Brett Bass on. Yeah. An amazing flat picker, bluegrass songwriter. Uh, band leader and frontman for um, Grandpa's Cough Medicine, who's making a resurgence. We found out. Hell yeah, come on back! So we're stoked about that. Um, he's got—they're working on a new album, and uh, he's got some dates coming up at Swanee Roots Revival uh, in uh, October.
0: Yeah, I think right when this comes out is—I think it's either the week or weekend or the weekend before. So either be at Swanee or
1: get your tickets for it, or be listening to this. Yeah, and, or be doing both. Yeah. Actually um so we're getting some great spaces on this con- on this episode of the podcast yeah. uh we talk about i didn't know that grandpa's confidence and went to europe no, and I didn't. That was interesting. That's a cool. And we got
0: a, a couple of bar fight stories in there, which is always always
1: fun always for
0: the for podcast.
1: Uh, also, we want to thank everybody who who uh, helped make our TikTok um, uh, video go viral. That was pretty dope. Specifically China. Yes. <laughs> just the entire uh, country. And uh, all the haters commenting on, on us not being professional musicians and all the good stuff. Was they were saying that? Oh, they were saying that. Bring it uh, on. Bring it on, bud. You're just getting our fucking numbers up in the algorithm, so we're all about it. Yeah. User 007415. I'm coming for you. I don't give a shit. Um, we got uh, I have no dates to plug right now. I don't know if Billy got any dates you want to plug? Uh not, not at this moment now. Okay, so we're chilling for a little bit. We're chilling for a little bit. So um, enjoy the episode, guys. Thank you again for tuning in. Here we go. Bottom of the bill. Episode starts now. This is bottom of the bill
2: where we talk about the modern grind of a musician album cycle
1: oh, hold on bill give me a second man because we don't know what we're talking Spotify about Playlists. You keep interrupting me that's not how we discussed it just give me a second man we invite established artists festival on sh- lineups can i just get my stuff out real quick we invite established artists on to share their strategy to success marketing
3: strategy
1: The premier do-it-yourself podcast. Hashtag DIY. Ah, screw it. This is bottom of the bill. There you go. All right. Welcome to another edition of Bottom of the Bill, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, welcome back. We got Brett Bass with us today. Cheers, bro. Howdy. Thanks for being here. I yeah, know you not got guys. water today, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm. Bill, you want cheers, or...? A little lame. You're far away. Just... It's like an ET phone home kind o- of situation. Over the... Yeah.
0: You keep on getting farther and farther away from me. Yeah, I know. It's, it's weird. A, it's an uh, analogy for our relationship. <laughs> that was weird Off. Uh,
1: don't be silly. Don't be silly. Um, so what's been going on, man? Man, I moved back
4: to Jacksonville uh, at the end of May, and I've just been staying busy playing solo gigs and some gigs with a trio and lately been rehearsing with the trio that will be Grandpa's cough medicine and getting ready to do some festival sets with that. so nice. Just getting the music the music thing going again, which has been fun. Hell what's, yeah. what's the
0: trio set up?
4: It's upright bass banjo and guitar.: Nice. Obviously, yeah. you
0: on guitar. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's, he switched it
1: up.
4: Switched I, I, I have not switched it up.
1: All right. What uh, uh, what was the reason for bringing Grandpa's Cough Medicine back? You know,
4: um, I've spent a long time building that brand and working with that band and have three original albums out. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that I wanted to give up. It's just something I was kind of forced to do. So bringing it back just feels like a good way to get back into music because... You know, when I started the band under my own name, Brett Bass and Melted Plectrum, it was like starting from the bottom rung of the ladder again. You know, and that's not a fun feeling for someone who's been at it for twelve years playing music and to just suddenly find yourself back at you know the bottom of the bill, so to speak. Yeah, nice. So, I get uh, it. you know, I'm bringing back the brand that I've had success with and the brand that people most recognize me with. You know, so
1: I get it. I get it for sure. Now, did you do you enjoy that role of kind of being? The band leader and like the face of everything or you know man
4: musically speaking it's kind of the only thing i've ever known um i've you know had freelance gigs playing in other people's bands but never anything long or lasting and uh grandpa's cough medicine was like my first band and i've been the band leader of it the whole time of his existence and it's kind of just what i do musically you know it's like what what else is there if if you if you're turning out songs and turning out music you kind of have to be in charge of it if you want it to become Reality, So it's just all I've known musically, really.
1: And uh, you were uh, like a metal guitar player before you started the bluegrass thing, right? Yeah, um, as a kid, I heard uh, Ozzy
4: Osbourne on a car commercial. The solo for Crazy Train came on, and I was like, what is that? I just got obsessed with uh, Randy Rhoads and Ozzy, and then we got really into Black Sabbath, and that was kind of what took me you know, down the, my initial path of guitar was uh, guitar hero guys like Tony Iommi and Randy Rhodes and Zach Wild and uh, got into Pantera and Metallica and then the heavier stuff like Cannibal Corpse and Cryptopsy and Demon Board Gear. Like, you know, so I, you know, I also played a lot of classic rock. You know, I played a lot of Zeppelin and stuff that, you know, every kid learns on the guitar. But, you know, metal was definitely what I was most into as a kid.
1: I noticed that you didn't mention Eddie Van Halen in that. Is there a reason? I mean,
4: uh, I have great respect for Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing, but, you know, that whole uh, glam rock thing just never did much for me, musically speaking, you
1: know? Interesting. As Billy thinks that Eddie Van Halen's the greatest guitar player on the planet. Yeah, or was. Was. Rest rest and piece, and piece. And piece. Yeah, yeah.
4: I mean, he's he's up there on the list, man.
0: Yeah, 100%. Uh, Good songwriter, too.
1: We had a... Uh, we F- were kinda... A fun band. Yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Well, yeah. you know, Yeah. We were having a bit of a a discussion on this in our last podcast because there was kind of a weird thing when, like, that finger tapping style was Mm -hmm. was kind of becoming like a a mainstream thing, right? And the idea was like, well, Eddie Van Halen kind of brought it to the mainstream, Mm -hmm. but like Randy Rhodes was kind of the guy doing it before. But nobody really knows. I mean, it's an impossible question to answer. But like, what do you think? I mean. I just watched a Randy
4: Rhodes documentary, I guess it's on Amazon, and uh, they touch on that subject and the rivalry between Van Halen and Randy Rhodes. and uh, Eddie seemed to think that Randy, you know, stole his guitar stuff, and Randy Rhodes was literally just teaching guitar lessons and having kids bring in Van Halen songs, I was like, yeah, okay, I'll learn that and show it to you, and that's what he did, so... I I don't know and don't really care. I I like Randy Rhodes' guitar playing better um, just because it's over heavier music. And to me, it's just cooler. It's got more, uh, I don't know, it's more interesting to me
1: musically. Definitely more melodic sensibility, I feel like.
4: Yeah. And, uh, you know, just I like heavy music. So, like, you know, the glam rock stuff just wasn't as, uh, didn't hit me like, you know, Ozzy did. So, I mean, I'll always be team, team Randy Rhodes, but, you know. I would never downplay Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing. He does a lot of things I'll never be able to do. So,
0: yeah. Well. yeah why are you trying to Why are you trying to bring Eddie down? Like, what, what's the point of this? Like, can't they just both be awesome?
1: Totally. It's just it's it's <laughs> it is it is a conversation that's had amongst guitar players. That's why I'm always curious about the perspective. I, I like Randy Rhodes more, but I'm just saying that like there's a lot of people team that feel Randy. differently. I'm team Randy. team Yeah. I'm team Eddie. Or, yeah. I'm team Randy. Yeah.
0: I would love to start some T-shirts. Like, yeah, team Eddie.
1: 100 percent yeah bottom of the bill merchandise yeah sure yeah <laughs> that'd be
0: great everybody choose a team yeah, <laughs> yeah.
4: that sounds like the world at large right now it's like everybody choose a team yeah but i'm not i'm
0: not choosing
4: there's two choices yeah it's not Either two choices. for us or against us exactly 100 yeah. i
0: don't i'm i'm not dissing randy rose and black Sabbath. like i fucking love them too like yeah just whatever
1: what uh, uh what was the re- like what kind of inspired you to start getting involved with bluegrass?
4: You know, I I think the simple answer to that is smoking weed. Uh I was <laughs> hanging out with some dudes when I was probably like 17, 18 and you know, this is just when I started smoking weed, I never did as a teenager and when I turned 18, I lived out on my own, I started dabbling. And they put on some bluegrass one day and it was like instrumental bluegrass and I was like, you know, really stoned and just really paying attention musically and I was like these dudes are shredding, like straight up. Like, as someone who loved heavy metal music and shredding guitar solos, like, I listened to these guys playing mandolins and banjos and fiddles, and there was just no doubt in my mind that they were full on shredding, but they required no electricity, they required no drums. You know, they could do this in the woods around a campfire, and that was something really interesting and special to me, the purity of it, that it can be made anywhere, you know, without all this extra stuff that you have to have to play with a rock band or whatever, which was all I had ever really done musically. And uh, I don't know, I just kind of got bit by a bug when I first got into it and just kind of became obsessed, uh, got really into bluegrass, started listening to all the people that, you know, everyone said was the best, you know, and just really trying to wrap my head around this music bought flat picking instructional dvds from the guys that you know i heard about like doc watson and tony rice and brian sutton and uh, really just kind of delved deep into the style because i've been taking guitar since lessons since i was 11 so you know i knew how to play the guitar you know at least from a physical standpoint but had never applied it to anything acoustic had never really played much in major keys because if you think about metal it's mostly all minor, minor keys stuff yeah. you know so like Just switching to major key tonality was a big jump for me, you know. Like just playing stuff that was pretty as opposed to brutal or you know whatever that you get with metal. So um, I don't know. I just got bit by that really hard. Started went to my first Swanee Festival, uh, Magnolia Fest, when I was probably about the same age, eighteen, and saw dudes that were on stage that day playing with the headliners, you know, out in the campground just playing music for fun at night. And I was like, you don't see that in metal music or rock music, you know, Right. Like people just playing music with each other cause they like it cause it's fun. Cause it's enjoyable thing to do. It's like, we're all here. We all got our instruments. Let's pick, you know? And I, I just found that cool and beautiful and awesome and something that I wanted to be a part of. So just really put down my electric guitar and became pretty obsessively focused on bluegrass after that.
0: Hell yeah. Did you have like a, like a mentor or were you like playing with anybody around that time?
4: Um, I can't say I had a mentor. You know, I I, I bought the instructional DVDs from the guys <laughs> who were the, the best in the biz, you know, and uh, tried my best to emulate them and learn from them. But, you know, bluegrass is kind of a niche genre, especially down here in Florida. It's not a, uh, you know, if you were in North Carolina or Tennessee or Kentucky, I'm sure there would have been mentors. But down here, I was kind of just left to my ears and my own devices in terms of my ability to play it. So... I basically just listened to the guys that I understood to be the best and was like, well, that's what to shoot for, you know, like those are the guys to emulate and copy and learn licks from and you know, that's where I started. But th- through the years as I continued to play, I did, you know, meet guys that I really looked up to like Larry Keel. Uh he was one of the first great flat pickers I got to see in person and got to be like he's one of my friends now, you know. It's one of the great things about bluegrass is that the artists are very accessible, you know something you also don't see in other genres of music. Like, totally. you know, you can, you know, you can see Ronnie McCurry and Rob McCurry out at the campground, having a beer, picking with everybody, you know, at the end of the headlining the festival, you know, they're they're regular people that just enjoy the music and enjoy the camaraderie. And I found that really cool, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm curious about, we were kind of talking about it earlier, like, like the difference between like a lot of scenes, like, you know, the jam scene and even like into the pop world and stuff like that, where, the kinda of the motive becomes defined the financial stability and success and all that stuff. But there's a thing with like like the like the punk and metal scene where it's like, you know the, the, the taboo of success almost. Yeah, it's like
0: selling out. That's like the big one. You can't sell out and still be a metal musician. Right.
1: Now, is that, I mean, does that, do you find that, that that dynamic exists within bluegrass too, or is that is it kind of like, you know, different? I mean,
4: I feel like people define selling out differently. Some people might define selling out as like, instead of playing your great bluegrass music that you're good at, trying to craft it into pop and, you know, sell it across a different genre where, you know, other people think, you know, just if your band gets big enough and you're selling tickets and putting butts in seats that you've sold out. And I don't subscribe to that. It's like, that's what we all want. We all want success doing what we do, you know? Um, so I don't think there's a, uh, obviously you can look at someone like Billy strings right now, who's like selling out giant places three nights in a row, probably the most successful bluegrass artist in the country. And it's like, I think that's a good thing. You know, like, I don't think anybody can accuse him of selling out, you know, like he's, Selling out concerts—that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's a good thing, and that's what we all want. So why would you, you know, begrudge somebody that success? You know, if that exists, I'm not aware of it. You know, in the in the bluegrass scene.
0: <laughs> that's such a good line. It's like, yeah, I'm selling out, selling out concerts. <laughs> What's
1: <Yeah>. up? <laughs> I like to describe it as not selling out, but buying in. Oh wow! You know what I mean? Because you like can call a bump, it if like you want. That's like bumper sticker philosophy, it's, bro. No, it's, I mean, it's, coming up with it's, stuff. It's, definitely, <laughs> it's definitely simplifying something that's a little bit more complicated, right? Like just or, saying that you're not selling out, that you're buying in is obviously an oversimplification of what you're doing. Yeah. But I believe that just because you tr- at, at a certain point you get tired of the grind and like just staying where you're at. And it's not about like selling out. It's just like I love to do this, but it'll, I also need to make a living and I need to be... I need to see see some kind of stability financially. And uh, the only way to do that is to start playing by the rules a little bit, you know, that's what I mean by buying in versus selling out, you know,
4: but I mean, as someone who's never had representation when it comes to management or booking or anything like that, like that all sounds so nice, you know, like to have somebody (laughs) else taking care of all that stuff that I've always taken care of myself. So, you know, totally. Um, I would buy in in a heartbeat if given the opportunity. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like the opportunity has not presented itself to me. So. Here we go. We're
1: changing the narrative, boys. I
4: do it by my damn self because I have to, not because I want to. Totally. You
1: know? But we
0: can all agree, like the the Lumineers are awful, right? <laughs> I, mean, I actually What's that like other a lot band? of their songs. I couldn't name the three hey. songs by them It's oh,
3: so. just the ho-hey genre Yeah, the ho-hey genre uh, yeah. They're all the same the blue, Yeah,
4: Bluegrass
0: nah. What is the name of that band? Lumineers? No, the other one
4: Munford and Sons Thank you Oh, there it is I like them too, actually They're yeah, great would. songs Once yeah, you they went
3: electric, they were alright But yeah. I, <laughs> Get the I, fuck <laughs> out of here, Chris I've Whatever. only
4: heard you know the the popular songs they have That stuff doesn't you know grab oh. me musically So I just don't listen to it I've
1: literally stayed up with Chris Till like 2 or 3 in the morning And him showing me like like B sides of like Mumford tunes from back in the day, and like what was the singer's name?
3: It's Avett Brothers, man. Get it. get the Avett. fuck out of here. <laughs> Avett Brothers. No, 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 no. Uh, all right, so Marcus Mumford was on this. There you go, Marcus Mumford. Yeah, he was on this. Um, what was it? Collection of Bob Dylan songs that got reinterpreted by like all these indie stars at the time. Yeah, it wasn't uh, the New Basement Tapes? That's what it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, that's where like um,
1: what's her name? Dude, uh, Old Crow did Wagon Wheel on that, right?
3: Wait a minute, no. No, never <laughs> no. mind. Um, no, they were <laughs> all right. Fact check that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I can't Google and do this at the same time. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like he's got some good stuff, but even that was not that was pop. You know, that was not bluegrass. No. So then I, he, I then he call... sold
0: out, and then Marcus Mumford became Eminem. <laughs> oh
2: no, I, I, I have no idea. I don't Full circle. M- <laughs> I don't make.
1: I wouldn't make the argument that any of them are doing like traditional music traditionally. There's definitely the element of mass appeal in there, too. But yeah. I'm saying that the music it doesn't mean it's bad because of that. It's still, to me, good music.
0: Yeah, I don't th- think it was probably a great one, because it's not blue really bluegrass to me. There's, like, banjo in it. It's more, like, folk, like, like traditional, what like, call folk it.
1: style, but more pop-friendly, you know?
0: I can't think of a really, really popular, like... You know, top forty bluegrass band or whatever. No, they right don't right. exist, bro. I've yeah. been listening to listening to Billy Strings nonstop for the past like two months. I can't get enough of them. You and everybody else, yeah. yeah. I, like I can't <laughs> wait. <laughs> I, I'm not. That? I'm not trying to say I'm like you know, like holding it back from everybody. Like you should probably go check out Billy Strings now. I just found him out. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> really unknown artist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like that every single one of his uh, shows is just, like brand new and awesome, and I love it. But going back to uh, uh, the yeah, the whole selling out and uh versus bluegrass versus metal yeah we've had a couple metal guests on here and they were like that's a huge part of it is that you don't sell out like otherwise like you're, you're lame or something what does that
4: mean like what like who's defining what selling out means so if suddenly they start selling out concerts are they now not cool anymore cuz right. people actually enjoy their music like
0: yeah I think that's what they were getting at. That's a silly,
4: self-sabotaging concept. Like yeah. I would get out of that paradigm mentally. Like you're, you're sabotaging your own success by thinking like you shouldn't have people at your show. Like is your show cooler because there's only twenty people there? Like
1: I, I think it's almost even less of know. the of the artists, and I think it's more of the fans that, that dictate that because I think every artist, like especially when when you're young, you probably have kind of that mindset, and then you get older and have like real responsibilities, and you're like. Oh no, I get if I want to keep doing this, it's gotta be sustainable. But like you have the fans that are like if you're selling your tickets for more than five dollars and there's more than fifty people in there, it's like all of a sudden I think the fans lose what they believe to be their little slice of paradise, you know, mm-hmm. that nobody it's like this is our thing and nobody else has that. When it becomes accessible to everybody, it kinda of waters down the value, I think, to people. I reckon. You know? But yeah, I agree. I, I think don't subscribe to any of that. Yeah, I one hundred percent agree, yeah. For sure. If it's
0: good, I hope there's a lot of people that can enjoy it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I think of any of my friends' bands, it's like I want them to sell as many tickets as possible and play to as many people as possible at every opportunity. You know, it's like, why would you want to play to less people? Yeah. It makes no sense.
0: Older I've gotten, like when I was younger, I would get like so jealous when you see like a tour tour date release and everything. I'm like, oh, I wish it was me or whatever. Now I'm just so hyped for my friends. I'm like, yeah, dude, fucking go get it.
4: I I think I've become old and jaded because now when I see friends release a rigorous tour schedule, I'm like, that looks exhausting. Yeah, also that, too. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, uh, I've been off the road for a good period of time, and, like, the concept of, like, organizing tours and doing that whole grind again is daunting, you know, especially because I do it all myself. It's like, boy, oh, boy. That's a lot to take on your plate, you know? It's like, I'm just gonna be away from home for however many days, and Probably make peanuts while I'm doing it, and it's it's a you know it's a grind.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, I I just we used to like a like a ten day run or something to the southeast, Mm -hmm. and um, it was the first one in this uh, kind of orientation that we've done that like been out for that long for, and you know we I do all the the booking and managing and stuff like that, so it was it was uh, brutal leading up to it because it's like it's not just like hotels and scheduling, like, you know, when you got to leave places and when you got to be there, but then it's also, you know, when you're doing ticketed events, promotion, promotion, all that stuff, social media, social media. And, but then like the structure of every show kind of changes depending on where you are, how many plays you have in the market. So it's Mm -hmm. like, if we've been here, we've done, you know, we've done X amount of ticket sales, then that, that venue might work with us more on, on like, you know, okay, well maybe, maybe we, we, you know, we give you a better deal on the door because we know that you can draw X amount of people versus markets you haven't played in where they Mm -hmm. structure it a little differently because they don't, they want to kind of offset the risk of having a band that's never been there before. So then like you're going through and you're like, okay, well, what was the deal for this place? What's the deal for that place? What's So you're having like just, you know, spreadsheets of how you structure everything just to keep, just like remember like what the deals are and all that, you know? Yeah, I'm getting anxiety just thinking about it. Yeah, it was brutal. I came back and I, I had like a good three days where I was just like, not doing anything, so I need to turn yeah. my brain off. You, you, know, <laughs> you, you ever see Memento? You should
0: get like tattoos of all the tour schedules that so that way you don't forget. yeah <laughs> Instead of
1: spreadsheets, a terrible
0: it's idea. Sp- no, but <laughs> it, you could just like you fill it in. Like you just have like lines all over your body, like venue, ticket sales, and everything like that. I just sharpie it in every day. Uh,
1: yeah, then when things change, <laughs> just exit out and then yeah. put like in, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brutal, man. It's brutal. <laughs> a
0: lot of zeros on there, I'd say. Did you ever? <laughs> <laughs>
1: not in the right place though yeah. did you ever uh like were you ever involved with metal bands at all before you started playing bluegrass or bluegrass yeah, never started never anything
4: serious you know i played a lot in the garages with my brother played drums growing up so we would come home from high school every day and just be loud as hell till 9 p.m and my parents are saints for allowing us to riff out in the garage for that long every day and tolerate that because it was surely very loud in the house. I I still have hearing damage from those days. I remember going in from the garage every afternoon with my ears ringing. I had a Marshall half stack and my brother's crash cymbal was like, you know, four feet from my head. So it was noise, you know, a lot of noise going in and a lot of ringing going out. But it was fun and definitely where I, you know, I guess learned to play and cut my teeth and just got used to doing something musical every day you know just kind of built a a pattern i guess you could say that has continued through my life of just like picking up my instrument and dusting it off and making sure i'm not backsliding and stuff like that you know
0: totally speaking of guitars can i ask a guitar question since I'm surrounded by guitars what is flat picking
4: well flat picking is essentially the bluegrass style of guitar playing of like playing fiddle melodies or Yeah, fiddle melodies and things like that on the guitar, you know, so you're not just strumming rhythm, you're using it as a lead instrument, which, you know, wasn't initially done in bluegrass. It's something that only came later in bluegrass music. Initially, the guitar was just a rhythm instrument, and uh, guys like Doc Watson and um, Clarence White and Norma Blake and Tony Rice and Dan Crary, they really took the guitar to new places, and it kind of took away the guitarist's limitations as a lead instrument, you know. Made it up front with the mandolins and the banjos and the fiddles, you know?
0: So it's just like, just the, it's talking about the melody, it's not like the style of...
4: Well, I, I guess technically it's the style of using a flat pick and, you know, alternate picking notes, melodies, whatever it is, you know, right. it's, it's, you you don't just strum it, you know, you're you're picking it too, so.
0: Do you think banjo's harder than guitar? <laughs> I don't know. I'm asking guitarist questions.
4: I can't play banjo, so I I do. Me neither, man. I I bought a, you know, when I got tired of showing up to Bluegrass Jams and being like one of 20 guitar players that would show up, so I bought a cheap mandolin, a cheap banjo, and a cheap dobro all at the same time. So I was like, I want to play one of these instruments, but I'm not sure which. And, uh, you know, banjo I found to be the most difficult, honestly. It's just like, your right hand's doing a lot, your left hand's not doing as much, you know, per se, but like, still making chord shapes and sliding them all over the place. And, like, it was, uh, you know, I took to the dobro the most. That's the one I picked up. And I don't, I don't consider myself a banjo or mandolin player at all, but I do play the dobro. And uh, What's a dobro? It looks like a guitar with a hubcap in the middle of it. Oh, I've you seen one You play it with a slide. You yeah. Know, banjo picks on your right hand. Um, it's cool. It's a fun instrument.
0: Learning a lot. <laughs> Thanks, friend. Uh, He's working overtime over there.
1: Yeah, Chris is crushing it. Yeah.
0: Yep. audio, video. More video. Double video. Fact checks. Yeah, fact, yeah, fact, checks. fact checks. We'll get around to those if Yeah, we, whatever. <laughs> yeah, you
1: know. <laughs> um Yeah, I well, actually you played with you we just at the jam at the at Southern yeah. Grill. I, I didn't know that you played uh dobro at all and then you came up and you started playing you were crushing yeah, it. That was, was the thing. lap steel, but yeah. Lap steel, okay, okay. Uh,
4: it's the electric version of the same thing essentially. Right. I I tuned them the same, you know, so I'm Using the same tuning since.
1: Now is it like the Dobro is played like a guitar too, right? You don't have like the square neck, or you do have a square I have neck. I square dobro. neck. Yeah, oh, okay. so uh,
4: it's not played. It's played flat in your lap, gotcha. or standing up with a strap. But uh, yeah, the the neck is big block. You can't fret it. You know, the the action is that high off the fretboard, so right. it's all made to be played with the metal bar.
1: Right. Yeah, it's, I love that instrument, man. You you did a great job on it too. How long have you been playing it for?
4: Uh, probably since I was about twenty years old. So I guess like.
1: 15 years okay cool hell yeah man um have you noticed like uh like kind of a growing bluegrass population in florida or jacksonville uh since kind of the billy strings phenomena or uh because i feel like it's it feels like bluegrass
4: is more in people's awareness for sure um i'm you know i'm still playing bar gigs and breweries and stuff like that so you know it's not like i'm selling out anywhere but uh I definitely have noticed people being more into bluegrass and flat picking, I think, since and that's the that's why I think it's a good thing that he's as popular as he is, is because a, a rising tide raises all ships, you know. So people think flat picking's cool. That's a good thing for someone like me who does that exclusively, you know, like so I'm happy that he's as big as he is and I hope he continues to push the limits of what people think bluegrass can do, you because know? that's gonna help everybody.
1: Totally. It's a wild, wild thing too is like the rhythm stuff on bluegrass is to me like the the hardest part to wrap your head around because it's like there's no like there's no drums or anything uh, and like the bass kind of acts as percussive. Like everything kind of acts as a percussive instrument in some capacity yeah. and then but everyone has to have like that very strong awareness of timing because mm-hmm. a lot of it's kind of syncopated too yeah so it's like what was it like kind of learning wrapping your head around that concept and then you know on top of trying to become a lead player and all that too
4: um you know really the best thing i think for anybody developing a sense of rhythm is to become a slave to the metronome you know and uh, the metronome doesn't lie it tells you when you're speeding up or slowing down and uh it just really can build your own innate sense of timing you know it's like you know when you practice enough with the metronome, you kind of have an idea of what 150 BPM feels like or sounds like, you have an idea of what 170 BPM feels like or sounds like, you know? And I think that's the way to develop good timing in any genre of music, you know? And obviously playing with great records where the bands are kicking ass and have good timing, you know, that helps too, but like, for me it was a lot of metronome practice and I still practice with a metronome, you know, cause I don't want my timing to be something I neglect and have become sloppy or whatever, you know. So, you know, when you're playing a banjo tune at 170 BPM or something like that, there's no room for sloppiness, you know. There's no time for it. You you have to be on the money, on the nose. So it's just part of practicing bluegrass, I think, is being pretty religious with your metronome.
1: For sure. I still practice with a metronome whenever I can also. It's uh, just like, you also just feel more comfortable, I feel like, when you're... Up there playing like your solos become more cohesive yeah and just like obviously your sense of timing becomes a lot a lot better but just i feel like ideas come to you more naturally because you're not like fighting right Well, well when
4: you're not constantly thinking about timing you can now play what you feel you know what i mean and uh if you're sitting there counting one two three four over in your head like you know you're gonna not really be feeling the music as strong as you could if you were just innately on that one two three four and able to focus
1: on just what it is you're playing you know totally and because like playing live too like, like the performance aspect of it you like there is the natural speed up or slowing down because you know whatever the scenario is but like you know it's very easy to, especially to kind of speed things up when your adrenaline's going you're playing in front of a big crowd that's like getting mm-hmm. off on the whole thing so just having that in inst- like getting timing down to a point where it's almost instinctual kind of like limits that a little bit so it makes for a better experience for you but also for the listener too you know
4: yeah um and you know i i have a rule that it's okay to speed up but it's not okay to slow down you know what i mean like if the song ends 7 bpm faster than we started it that's okay we put some extra gas on the last banjo solo or whatever you know it feels good to do that but you know if you're doing it and you're 15 BPM ahead of where you started or 20 BPM ahead of where you started. It's like now you you might be dealing with a runaway train scenario where it's just like you're not in control of that or it's like, you know, I'm fine when, when the last banjo break kicks in if it bumps up 5 BPM. That feels good to me. Like, yeah. it's exciting. You know what I mean? Like, it's, you know, so it's not... The metronome isn't something where it's like, mm you're going too fast. It's it's just something to guide your sense of rhythm. You know what I mean? It's still okay to follow the band. It's still okay to have things have a pulse and surge forward a little bit when it's time. But, you know, the metronome is an unlying guide piece for your own sense of rhythm. Like, I'm sure you've been in a situation where you go in a studio with somebody who doesn't practice to a metronome and suddenly they get slapped in the face with that metronome and they yeah. realize very quickly it's like oh this is where it's hey, our- up? this is not talking about
0: anybody here though this is where i'm gonna-
4: deficient you know like uh you know and that's i never want to be in that scenario so i keep the metronome as a regular part of my practice routine just because it's like you know in the studio that's where the rubber meets the road with the metronome it's like well, i want to record this perfectly and so I need to have practiced it perfectly. 100%. Know? My
0: yeah. ears like perked up as soon as you said 170 BPM, and then it was okay to to go fast, but never
1: okay to slow down. I was like, all right, that's Billy. That's, that's me Billy, all day. Billy 101, right there. Yeah.
0: Man, maybe I should be getting into bluegrass. Yeah. You think about it, all my songs are just happy and 170 BPMs. Like.
1: Yeah. Well, there's no s- synthesizers though, so God, maybe there could be. <laughs> tar it up, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah.
0: I don't know. I've always wanted to learn banjo.
1: Um.
0: Good luck. Yeah. For I'm real. great. My great uncle was a famous banjo player in Kentucky. Uh, I can't remember. What's his name? Wallace Begley. Okay. But anyways, I've <laughs> never heard of him. I'm talking like I mean, back, like back in the 30s or whatever. He was a good, he was a good banjo player and everything like this. i a blood, 100. Yeah. I don't know. He's like to go fast. I like to go real fast. Yeah. <laughs> hey man,
4: that's why I love bluegrass. I like yeah. to go fast too. Yeah. Praise Dale.
0: Um, praise Dale.
1: So speak. So, uh, kind of getting off the bluegrass topic and more than the synthesizer topic. Synthesizer topic. Uh, uh, bottom of the Billboard. Yeah, bottom of the Billboard. Back with a vengeance. Back with a vengeance.
0: Uh, who we got today, Bill? Uh, today we have uh, a new artist. Uh, her name is Remy Wolf, or the whole band is called Remy Wolf. I don't know a lot about them or her, or but anyways, her new song, uh, "Sexy Villain." Great band uh, song name. I love this song. I love her voice. I love the um just the cadence and she's all over the place with the, the melodies and
4: Is there I, a banjo solo?
0: There's like no banjos in the song, I think, at all. Okay. But it's just like I the summer's kinda winding down a bit, but this was like a s like like a summer banger, I think for sure. I love this song. Uh, there are a couple things that aren't great about it, which for sure I know you're gonna say the the guitar solo at the end. If you listen to it, it's like at the, they put it way in the back, and it's just the tone. It's just yeah, the solo's not bad itself. It's just the tone is. They're just, putting it through like some sort of crusher, like a LFO, LFO crusher, is what it sounds like to me, like a synthesizer pedal or something like that, and then just like turning up the treble to a thousand. Yeah, and you know it's not you know. Dwayne Allman or anything, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> 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 Bringing it back. <laughs> uh,
2: but,
0: we need some fucking sound effects in this podcast, no, god damn it. But
3: it's all right. I'll uh, Al in post. But uh, okay.
0: her yeah. her okay. as a performer, the the band itself is pretty good, and I just really like her voice a lot. I just couldn't. You listen to the song, and you'll be like, oh, she's like she's like probably singing like a tenor or so. Then all of a sudden, she's just doing that alto, and then just goes up to soprano, just like that. And you're like, this chick's got range. So shout out to you, Remy Wolf.
1: Yeah, I think the song is great. I really love the bass line. Bass line's great too. Yeah, yeah, I got like a you know similar to the Frank Moody thing where it's, like, very four on the floor. Yeah. But, like, the bass line kind of keeps it moving and grooving and bouncy and yeah. melodic and all that. And then, yeah, her voice is awesome. I was trying to pay more attention to the lyrics, but I kind of uh, uh, crunched that listening today. So, um, as far as just time-wise, I just time-crunched it. I'm sure they're pretty um, good. It's definitely, like, it feels it's really
0: heavy Gen Z vibes. Yeah. This whole, this whole band and everything like that. And that's totally cool. I'm down I'm down with the Z. She was shot. <laughs> Shut the
3: fuck up. <laughs> She looks pretty Gen Z too. No, she is for sure. You know? She can't
0: be a day over twenty three, but the, I'm just saying like she's she's great, hundred percent. I can't.
1: I hope she blows the fuck up. And I think she's got like what eighteen million plays on this song. So oh really? Good for you. I hope we blow blow up from it also. Blow what up? Just you know from eight, from talking about a song has eighteen million plays. Yeah, I'm like whatever. Like uh, uh, brush a little bit of that, that that cloud on us. You know what I mean? Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I loved it. I thought her voice is phenomenal, and uh, I think it's a great arrangement. Uh, I like there was like these kind of like the the backup vocals. I don't know if they were using like key if it was like a keyboard thing or what, but it almost sounded like like, uh, like some of these oos and ahs that were happening, but they sounded very like um, uh, Frankenstein. You're doing the Frankenstein hands. The, <laughs> what's the. Uh, <laughs> It almost like like, like they were they were like highly processed, but it was like a cool and, and like highly processed. What yeah, was highly processed? Like the backup vocals, or there was like oh. this cool like ooze and ah's happening. Oh, you think
0: that it was like it was it wasn't actually her singing? It was just like a uh, like a, a voice pad.
1: I don't know what it sounded, but I thought it was really cool. Like yeah. I liked it. You know, what do you think of the song, Brett?
4: Um, you know, my mom taught me that if I didn't have anything nice to say. <laughs> say nothing and I don't find anything about the song musically offensive but it's just not something that I would put into my ears totally if left to my own devices you don't know?
0: worry about it that's totally fine That music's not for uh, not all music I is wish for that everyone. young
4: lady the greatest success I'm sure she's already had more than than I probably will so good for her
0: yeah way to go uh, so yeah does it make the uh, playlist billboard
1: I'd say so yeah thumbs up for sure neat cool uh, well, that wraps up bottom of the billboard. Wow, that was short and sweet. We got a mm. uh, we got a note from one of our producers telling us to put to put a better bow on those segments. So we've been trying to do that, and yeah, we uh, have. Good yeah. job. <laughs> um, so, anyways, uh, I kind of want to get into Grandpa's cough medicine, and yeah. uh, so you guys are coming back with a vengeance.
4: Yeah, our first show back, or our first official show back is Swanee Roots Revival, and we've got three sets at that festival. Which, Whoa. I'm super stoked about. That's um,
1: dope, man! Hell yeah! Congrats!
4: I'm super grateful to Beth Judy and uh, the people that put those festivals on because they've sub- supported me for a long time through the years and always given Grandpa's Cough Medicine and Brett Bass and Melted Plectrum chances to play in front of people that love bluegrass and love music. You know, and that's the best thing you can hope for is to play for an audience of people who are just there to hear music and are there to appreciate it. You know, and so big shout out to Beth and the Swanee Park for putting on some of the best festivals in the country because we're lucky to have that so close by, you know? Yeah, totally absolutely.
0: when is that? That's in, like—
4: It's October 13th through the 16th. Oh,
0: it's coming up. But for some reason, I thought it was in the spring. So, yeah, just— in They have weeks. one in
4: the spring, too, but that's called Swanee Spring Reunion.
0: Right, 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 right. That's right. I didn't know they had one in October, too. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, they, yeah, I knew about that. They used to be Spring Fest
4: that. and Mag Fest, and now it's—
0: We're, we're going to be there, like, literally five days before that, aren't we?
1: Oh, yeah, we're playing like a private wedding. Yeah, we're there. playing a
0: private wedding there. Fun.
1: Yeah, I think Roosevelt's headlining that too, which would be kind of cool. Very Fine. cool. Yeah. They're headlining a
2: wedding. Yeah. D- yeah. <laughs> That's where we're at now. And then also,
1: and then, and then there's like a silent disco thing they're doing at the end of the night too. It's going to be pretty dope. I'm who's, who's
2: getting
0: married?
1: Uh, I fr- I we forget. can't say. It's private. No, I think, I think they're actually opening it up to the public also. It's just like... What? Like, That's you, awesome. Like, yeah, That's so baller. I, I, don't, I don't know much about it, but it's going to be dope. Everybody's but invited. Way, it. <laughs> to either way... Yeah, everyone's invited. <laughs> uh, to, um, so let's kind of talk about the, like what... like. What kind of brought this band to fruition? How did you get it started? Kind of the history of the band? Um,
4: I guess when I first started getting into bluegrass and, uh, you know, I I liked traditional bluegrass, but I found the lyrical content kind of homogenous, kind of boring. A lot of cabin songs, a lot of songs about missing mama and daddy, a lot of, you know, love songs. It was just kind of like, the genre and the picking and the singing were all something I really loved, but lyrically, it was just you know, as someone who came from the metal world, it just felt soft to me, I guess. And uh, I guess at the time I was really into Hank Williams the third yeah i still I I'll still love Hank Three, <laughs> and I don't know. I just started writing some bluegrass songs that were you know more in the Hank Three vein as opposed to, you know, lyrically speaking than the traditional bluegrass vein. And like, I wanted to write more hard edged, dark edgy bluegrass, you know? And uh, so at first it was just this crop of songs. And, you know, I was working as a massage therapist at the time, I did that for four years before I started playing music full time. And, uh, you know, just felt like I needed an outlet for these songs I was writing. So I started assembling a band and like the first, the first um, incarnation of Grandpa's Cough Mess, it was not a bluegrass band, there was drums, there was uh, electric guitar, it was almost like a honky-tonk band, we had fiddle, banjo, on acoustic, and uh, it it was really more of a honky-tonk band than a bluegrass band, and you know, that was how we started out, and players started dropping off, whether it be from life circumstances, or just didn't work out, you know, as personnel, we ended up just being guitar, bass, and banjo at a certain point, you know, and uh, that was when I just decided to make it a fully bluegrass act. And because, you know, as that time went on as a honky tonk band, I was stepping up my flat picking. I didn't want to be the only person in the band that didn't take a solo, you know, so I was doing a lot more flat picking, learning a lot of fiddle tunes, learning a lot of banjo tunes. And eventually you got to the point where it's like, all right, well now I'm the only other soloist in the band. So I'm taking solos every song and, you know, the flat pick guitar is now a big part of this sound, you know, so, um, it didn't start as a bluegrass band, but ended up as one. And I'm happy that it did, you know, I'm not sure it would have really had any longevity had it not gone that direction.
1: Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the, I guess like the outlaw country thing is something that's been going on for like years and years and years. Whereas like you're saying like the outlaw aspect of bluegrass hasn't, wasn't at that time, something that had been fully tackled yet. So it was maybe like like an yeah I mean and that water. was
4: that was my full on angle with Grandpa's Cough Medicine and it still is you know our website at the time was outlawbluegrass.com you know what I mean like that was very much what I was going for and so like that very much influenced my songwriting you know like if I wrote a sweet lovey dovey song that didn't make the album you know what I mean like that wasn't what I was going for with that band and never never was you know um, there was room maybe on a whole album for like a sentimental song but like i wanted it to be like you know hard edge drinking and drugging and chasing tail and you know fun fun things to have songs about and sing about and it's uh, still
0: wholesome that's wholesome (laughs) that's wholesome music
4: hey man you know not just I'm, i'm a big believer that not all not all art has to be beautiful and not all art has to make people comfortable and not all art has to be high art you know what i mean like some art can just be for the sake of Fun, you know, and totally. that's kind of where I, I take my approach for Grandpa's Cough Medicine is it's, I'm not trying to paint the Mona Lisa, you know, I'm trying to make bluegrass accessible for people who maybe wouldn't be into cabin songs and stuff like that, but can dig a song about drinking and murder and things of those natures. You know.
1: what a, so I'm curious. Drinking is, and murder. I'm curious, <laughs> what kind of, like, crowds were you, were you, like, playing to like How was your music received it was like rowdy like, and like fun like that or like, I mean
4: I guess that very much depends on the venue you play it in you know uh, we definitely cut our teeth at the Fly's Tie Irish Pub quite yeah. a bit and those shows always got real rowdy and you know I, a lot one of the things I initially heard a lot playing in the band was that like I've never been into bluegrass before but I really dig what you guys do you know and that was what I took as a high compliment because it's like we're bringing people into bluegrass that wouldn't have normally arrived there you know and uh you know, showing these people & and Scruggs and Bill Monroe and the Stanley Brothers. You know, after they, you know, get off to songs about drinking and drugging and murder, it's like, all right, well, here's some real bluegrass too, and it turns out you can like that as well if it's you know shown to you in the proper context, I guess. You know,
1: any like wild stories or like just incidences that happen? Uh,
4: you know, one I've seen recounted a few times on <laughs> Facebook recently is uh, we were at the Flies Tie plan, and there was a guy who decided he was going to take off his flip flops and start clapping along with the band with his flip flops and he was clapping way off time and i warned him a couple times i was like dude fucking quit that shit (laughs) and he kept you know he was drunk and so he kept right along and finally i just like handed my guitar off and got off the stage and grabbed his flip-flop and slapped him across the face (laughs) hell yeah dude and he (laughs) quickly realized that i wasn't kidding and you know he (laughs) left shortly thereafter that
3: man i
2: love it
1: yes
3: there's I've actually got a good one too that I don't know if you know this or remember this but uh I'm from North Carolina and Mm -hmm. when I was down here at UNF I was going home for the summers and Mm -hmm. I had seen you guys and wasn't playing on the scene so much but I saw y'all were playing up in Boone so I went up to the show and you know where I'm going yep (laughs) oh boy so I love this story I I went up to Boone with a buddy of mine and we're watching y'all play and I, I don't remember what set it was but some drunk motherfucker like just was wobbling around the front of the stage and went right into your microphone and you walked up to him while still playing guitar and head butted the ever loving shit. <laughs> his and like, you might have broken his nose. Like, I don't know what. Like, he was <laughs> bleeding from his face. <laughs> yes. And my buddy and I, I were like, This but is, I don't know. Maybe I'm embellishing it a little bit. I might was be. a drunk teenager. Yeah, because that's but, assault now. Oh, it was. It was <laughs> that's assault, brother. It's <laughs> a beautiful thing for me to see in blue. Because I was growing up in bluegrass and never saw like edgy bluegrass. And I'm like, I told a buddy, I'm like, Man, there's this great guitar player, these great guys. Let's go check them out. And then like, Headbutting butting off the stage. It was beautiful. It was it was great. Yeah. I've so been a fan to ever to, since.
4: to give that story from my perspective, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, we were playing uh, a very metal influenced tune we have called the Murder Chord. and uh, I guess this guy was a fan, but also very very drunk, and he heard us playing this song, and he got right up in front of the stage and started like moshing, was like you know head banging and carrying on, and he. Hold on, knocked my mic stand to where that thing punched me in the
0: teeth.
2: Oh, like, that's the worst, that, like,
4: dude.
0: Going. Oh, wow, that sound, I, the, Clock, God, was, that was a perfect sound. Like,
4: clocked <laughs> me in the teeth hard and like, he was completely <laughs> oblivious to the fact that he just punched me in the mouth with my own microphone <laughs> and that didn't sit well with me so when, you know, banjo player started taking the solo, I stepped around the microphone and just Headbutted the shit out of him. <laughs> like, But his head His head was down So I headbutted him In the back of his oh, head oh, okay. I didn't headbutt him In his face So okay. I don't think There was any blood On his face ah, Were you still
0: my... playing Guitar while you did that Oh yeah Fucking didn't, badass didn't, didn't miss a note <laughs> Yeah because <laughs> you Had to use your head Because yeah. you're playing guitar I was like otherwise Alright That's <laughs> nice, so uh. fucking funny What, what place in Boone well, I wonder if the same place yeah.
4: You yeah. Saloon maybe the, Yeah it, yeah. No it was uh, Murphy's Pub oh, it was Murphy's Okay yeah Which is not that anymore It's called something else now We played
1: the local In Boone Oh the local That's right yeah, but
4: yeah. Every time I played that place after that, I had that story recounted to me like two or three times by separate people. So I guess that became a semi-legendary it story it totally there. In down to Florida too. Yeah, that's an Appalachian
0: oh, yeah. legend right there. I love it.
1: <laughs>
4: you know, don't poke the bear.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's our clip, boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> that
0: fucking that sound, man. It was like dead on exactly what it feels like when somebody does that. It's, to you. The, worst it's the worst feeling. The worst feeling in the world.
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You salt me, I'm gonna salt you back.
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Like, like my, it's always like, like my, like where my head goes with that is like, oh, that person's just drunk and they don't know what's happening. You're like, you just punched me in the face with a microphone. You're getting knocked out. Yeah, <laughs> love it.
4: Yeah, you know my my temper has never been my strong suit. You know uh, that's why I'm not drinking brown liquor with you guys. You know? Yeah, I'm a happier, more easygoing guy. Seems when, so even-keeled. Yeah, yeah.
1: I've, I've never like we haven't known each other super long mm-hmm. and we only hung out like. We have hung out and, like, you know, talk shit for a while, but we haven't mm. hung out that much. Yeah. And I've only known you the capacity of, like, being a chill and, like, very even-keeled dude, even when we, when we were drinking. Yeah. So, But I've heard stories of the past, and I was like, I just do not get that vibe. But I can definitely see you know, how, you know, you're a big dude. I can definitely right. See. Well,
4: you know, a dude my size has no business not being in control of himself is my philosophy, you know, and so... I don't go down the rabbit hole of liquor anymore. You know, I used to, and it never led to anything good. You know, every horrible decision I've made in my life probably has alcohol at the front end of it somewhere, you know? Sure. So, you know, I just find life is easier not being a drunk, you know? And uh, I thankfully do have the ability to just have two or three drinks and then stop, you know, be happy with a buzz. And, you know, I'm sure we've all met fellow musicians who just don't have that ability. It's like once they start pounding them down they got to keep going and you know i've had bandmates and musician fellows like that and it's just you know it's an easy trap to fall into as a musician because we have access to alcohol everywhere you know it's always around everybody that's everybody wants to buy you a drink you know so it's easy to say yes you know and i don't know i just didn't see it leading anywhere good so
1: yeah, it's not, sometimes it breaks up, or not doesn't really break up the monotony. Cause I guess it becomes monotonous when you do it every night. But it kind of makes that monotony a little more bearable, you know. Like yeah. being on the road, or like even at home doing bar gigs day after mm-hmm. day, just to pay bills and shit. And you're just like, uh, well, this is brutal. And mm-hmm. if I had a drink right now, I'd feel much better about the situation. Ever-
4: I'm not saying I don't drink. You know, I, I yeah. do. I will have a beer or two while I'm playing, but it's just not. A central aspect of it for me totally yeah. Yeah. I enjoy playing well more than I enjoy being buzzed you know for sure yeah for sure. like
0: shows like 100% I don't think I've ever been drunk at a show
1: or like playing uh, a sh-
0: playing a show uh,
1: like 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 a like a real show or like a bar gig. any of them no yeah. well not not not, not <laughs> well not to the point no, no you <laughs> he was counting you've never you've never you've met ne- <laughs> ne- as long as I've been playing with you you've never been you've never not been in control of your facilities yeah. while playing a show but there's been times where we've packed up you're like I am fucking hammered. That is true. Yeah. I've never
0: been too drawn to play piano. Yeah, totally. I will say that. But have you ever seen uh, that episode of It's Always Sunny where uh, uh, D tries to be uh, Charlie for a day and then has to go back to his house and like sleep there? It's like you gotta eat this cat food real quick, otherwise oh, you're not gonna yeah. be able to go to sleep. That's how I felt like on the road. Is like if we don't fucking start drinking beer like immediately, I'm never going to sleep. Man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or like it's not gonna be worth it. It's not a, worth it. It'll be bearable. That's an Sorry. interesting
4: thing I don't hear people talk about a lot is the. Wiredness that you will often feel after you play a show. You know what I mean? It's like you're done. It's 2 a.m. It reasonably should be bedtime, but you no. get, you can't get home from that and just like be done and go to sleep. You know, like I'm not. always like, even if the show went till two and I'm home at three, I'm not tired when nope. I get home. You know, I'm wired.
1: Especially after a good show. Yeah. Like that's like, like, you know, I don't know how much stimulants anybody in this room has done. None. How And uh, I don't tend to mess with them anymore, but like there's definitely... Okay well it's not i don't let me put it this way i don't, I don't do cocaine anymore good for
2: you.
4: i'm a uh, caffeine junkie dude i don't, yeah, me I don't mess with the powders
1: but i will say that after a show like after a good show it it is very similar to that feeling where you're just yeah, like you're wired you're you know? wired and like it's kind it's like euphoric it's a
4: buzz for sure yeah you know, like i think that's why we enjoy music it's like you know we're getting something out of it too like sharing your energy and having that energy come back to you is a drug in its own way a hundred percent you know you're you're wired after you have a good experience of that
1: totally and there there is a lot of that addiction mentality that comes into play where you get that one feeling like let's keep it going or let's keep like let's get this feeling even better and that's when the problems start but you know on the other end is that you can go home and kind of unwind it and come to a natural crash and go to bed and wake up the next day. Fine. Mm-hmm. Just feeling even better about a night, an, an sure. amazing night. Even that perspective. Sometimes is hard though, you know?
4: Yeah. But, I mean, man, I, I stick to a few beers reefer, you know, I'll eat some mushrooms now and again, but I, I just stay away from, I mean, I have drugs as like good ones and bad ones in my own mind. And I know it's not that simple for a lot of people, but it is that simple for me. And there's drugs that, I think expand my consciousness and expand my awareness. And there's ones that, you know, are not going to take it in a good direction. So I just tend to avoid those and stick with the natural stuff and, you know, a few drinks and I don't ever want drinking to become a problem that I just have to stop altogether. So it's like the best way to do that
1: is just not become an alcoholic, you know? Right. Totally. Um, and what, and (laughs) I forgot that, uh, grandpa's confidence and you guys did move to Asheville for a period of time, right?
4: We did. Yeah. We moved to Asheville and uh, lived there for a year, and then they kept raising the rent, so I moved to Irwin, Tennessee, which is like 45 minutes north of there, right outside Johnson City,
1: and uh, kept playing in the Asheville area, but didn't have to pay Asheville rent, you know. Right, and uh, and you were, you had the full lineup there with you, or you just kind of reformed the band that when you moved that there?
4: was where the 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 full uh, the original lineup went up there with me, and you know we went on this European tour and really that yeah we did Belgium and the Netherlands for like three weeks or something like that oh shit that's awesome
1: you did all that yourself like you planned all that book well all, there was
4: like, a guy over there that took care of the booking end of it but you know we had to arrange all the travel and all that stuff okay but he had like you know a van and a sound tech for us and all that stuff when we got there but Hell yeah you know come to find out playing bar gigs in Europe is about the same as playing bar gigs in America it's right. Right. <laughs> not, not too terribly different so like I mean you know, saying you went on European tour looks good on paper, but the tour itself was, you know, nothing uh, too terribly. Did they tip exciting. you over
0: there? Because I hear tipping is like outlawed in Europe. Correct? <laughs> outlawed? No, we got, we got, we got tips. So nice. All right. I don't know. But you didn't have to tip anybody. You don't have to tip anybody at the bar there. That's no. how. That's how it works, right? Because uh, of socialism. Know. It's. <laughs> I
1: don't know. It's a weird dynamic. I will say, when I was in Turkey last year, um, you can. Like you can you know, like you don't have to tip. Yeah. The same thing like when we were in Greece also like you, you don't, don't have to tip here either. <laughs> you don't you don't have to tip, but it's a weird dynamic because like as they almost expect you to as an American. Right, number right one. Right. And number two, as an American you feel if you're not tipping them that you're being a douchebag. Yeah. So it is a weird dynamic where like, yeah, you don't have to. You can always just round up to the next dollar or whatever and be fine. But at the same time there is an expectation that you're gonna tip because you're American. And you kind of feel that pressure as an American to do it anyways.
4: Yeah. I mean, I feel like tip jars are arising in the strangest of places now. You know, it's like where...
0: God, it's so weird. like
4: places where there's not even a server. It's just like, you just put my order into your cash register and you have a tip jar. I know, and
1: I feel so guilty, but I always tip at least 20% because I'm a fucking sucker. No. I can't help it.
4: I mean, it just depends on the context for me. If you're my server and you're actually performing a service for me, absolutely. I want to totally. do, do better than 20% for you. But, 100%. you know, it, like, you're not making the sandwich. You're not bringing me the sandwich. It's like, so why, where's the, the tip? Oh, Transaction go, like, coming from, and then you, know, you go you,
0: if you go to like a real fancy place or whatever, where like the bill's like you know one hundred and fifty dollars. They're not working five times harder to give you that meal, but you got to tip them twenty percent of that. Well, what's that about? Let's the, get
1: into it. The expectation <laughs> is high, is higher though. Like what like, expectation? Because they have to. Like the idea is you're going to a place and spending that much money. Yeah. So the service better be like better than what you're gonna get like a Fridays. But at the end of mean? the day, they just. Just, just bring me my food. Don't be talking no mess about Fridays, the, man. Hey, yeah. I like Fridays. Are you wrong? I'll eat it Fridays. <laughs> Fridays? I'm just saying. That like, Come on. I'm, TGI Fridays. You're better guys. than that, yeah. man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't look at. Okay. I eat fucking gas station food where, half the where? time. Yeah. I'm just saying. You took like, there? If 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 someone's bringing out like a hundred dollar steak to you, right. They have to be more careful with that food. The what are you talking about? More careful <laughs> more precious cargo is all I'm saying. So what at any point in time if they drop the food, they're gonna get you another one.
0: It's all it's the same pressure is on the line. There's no, I disagree.
1: No,
3: but your time is on the line, like you know?
0: It's bullshit. I don't know. I just think that it's it should just be a flat rate hundred percent of the
1: time. Disagree.
0: Well, but anyways, that's what five we're Five bucks. Know, five bucks. That's is a good enough? unpopular Come opinion. On, right? Um well, I want to get I was going to say uh the other place that uh, at the vape store that I have, I have I go to down here they have a like a tip thing on there I'm like what what am I tipping you bro? I handed
1: you your your banana vape yeah banana so you, you owe vape? me 5 and they and, they, they, did, and yeah. they didn't piss in it so there you go yeah. you're welcome yeah give Here's me my $5. 20% yeah no thank you
0: sorry <laughs> i don't i don't
4: yeah i don't know man handing me something off a shelf is not a tippable thank you service i agree it's like
0: Dwight Schrute i, t- I tip my dentist cuz i can't do that or something like that what does he say I don't. I, you, know who, you know who the I person I
4: want to tip, but I can't tip, is the people who make my public sub, dude. Like, oh yeah, you know, they'll have to go cut a whole fancy meat for you or a cheese that you want. They go above and beyond for you to make the exact sandwich you want, but I can't tip these people. Well, like these are like the people I want to tip. That's a that's good true. business.
0: That's a good business because they have giant. They make them wear badges that says "Don't tip me."
1: Oh, they all. But <laughs> but they also give them. They do. But they also give them stock options in Publix as well. So stock like, but, so like they're. That's you know, like every company, okay. but I don't know. If saying. you make
4: public <laughs> subs, just know I want to tip you. Yeah, I
1: really do. You heard it Not here me, first, man.
0: They suck. Uh, uh, what wife. do you say? My urologist, because I'm unable <laughs> to pulverize my own kidney stones. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> why. Why tip was.
1: someone for a job I'm capable of doing myself? <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. I I'm a sucker. If I see tip there, I just instinctually, I'm just like, I have to leave a tip. I, now. Am, I the am. options yeah. there, I'm yeah. trying to
0: be all like. Big about it, but like, but I'm you're like, not. No, I'm not. Yeah, I'm like, you know. We, I'm we know. like right, here's two dollars. I mean,
4: I I like tipping well. You know. Yeah, it, me too. It, it feels totally. good to tip well. It's that's good enough reason for me to do it. And if I was a loaded person, like I would take great pride in like making someone's day with a hundred dollar bill for you know bringing me a burger. That would be fun.
0: hundred percent. I don't know how we're you still on tipping, but there was this place when I went to go visit Miami, and in Miami they had like a service fee, right? Yeah, it's like eighteen
1: percent so, off or rip.
0: something like that already. Or and 20. then this this waitress comes up to me and she's like. There, there's an 18% uh, service fee, and that's going to the uh, the people that work in the back that are cooking your food and everything like that. That's not my tip. And then she goes, "Here you go." And I'm like, "Fucking split. Go, you got you guys figure it out. You split it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can figure that out the other night.
1: Shit's weird. Yeah. But I just
0: had a tip here because it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. It was uh it was called as a bacon bitch. Have you ever been in that place? No, but you told me. It's, about a, your it's a brunch spot where they just blast like uh, 50 cent. And little John the whole time, and then they the moniker is they just keep on calling you bitch the whole time. Like here's some bacon, bitch. People eat there on purpose, bitch. It's mostly for chicks, and uh, my girlfriend wanted bacon, so I thought (laughs) it would have been a good spot to go to. And the food actually wasn't that bad. It was actually pretty good.
1: Yeah, I mean, good (laughs) food down there. The atmosphere
0: felt like we were on the moon. I'll tell you that much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well I want to go back to Grandpa's cough medicine and all that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, we got with a fucking tipping ring and uh extravagant dinners in Miami. But um brunches. But, sorry, brunches. Um all right, so European tour, you guys did that.
4: Yeah, and uh, you know, the some some band tension started happening over there and you know, I'm not I don't I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. I'm not gonna get into all that, but like, you know, it, it led to me having to, you know, get rid of some personnel and bring on new personnel and You know, for a while there, Grandpa's Cough Medicine was a pretty regularly changing lineup, you know, as I got the people in there that needed to be in there. And uh, so, you know, basically in that process was when we got attacked uh, by a very large and well known entity. They started emailing places that we play, um, telling them that. Our band was racist, sexist, and promoted violence against sex offenders, not based off anything I had said or done or posted on social media, but literally all from the content of the
1: music, which was, you know, Outlaw Bluegrass.
0: Like your lyrics and stuff, right? Yes, the lyrical content uh, of I'm, the music.
1: I'm curious, promoting violence against against sex offenders. Yeah, that, I had a
4: I had a song about killing pedophiles.
1: Is that, like, something that is like controversial with people of course or, it is violence you know against I, sex I think like, i think
4: in in certain ideologies you know everybody is a protected class you know even pedophiles and uh you know i I don't i don't subscribe i don't subscribe to that at all and you know in in this song you know i encourage pedophiles to kill themselves and (laughs) i stand by that sentiment you know like but there was people who were literally trying to paint me as all sorts of terrible things because i would write songs that expressed sentiments like that you know and uh basically the the they started emailing places that i played telling two places and uh Of course, my reputation was ruined with those places when that started happening. And, you know, this started a dialogue between me and this entity. And basically what they wanted ultimately was for me to apologize for racism, sexism, promoting violence in my music. And I was frankly unwilling because I was like, I'm not guilty of racism. I'm not guilty of sexism. Like these are fictional works of art. Like you can't paint things about my character based off the content of my art. Like, do we go to Stephen King for writing novels about psycho killers and be like, well, this guy's obviously a sociopath. Or, you know, some movie director like Quentin Tarantino who writes very controversial movies and say, well, this guy's obviously a racist. You know, he's got the N-word in his movie. It's like there was just very um, intellectually dishonest assertions being made about my character all based off the content of my art. And like, you know, I was being attacked for this and, you know, having my reputation ruined at places I play music. And then they wanted me to make a public apology. And I just straight up said, no, like, I'm not apologizing for these things because I'm not guilty of these things. And in fact, I will dissolve this band and walk away from 12 plus years of my hard work before I let you ruin my reputation with baseless accusations. Like, I'm not doing that. I'm not playing this game with you.
0: Would you would you say it was uh, an entity? Was it like one person of that entity coming after you? It or? was
4: a local chapter of a very large and well known public entity.
0: Sure, I'm just like, like, do they not have anything better to do?
4: Sure, I mean, you know, th- th- it can bring up, you know, this could bring up a million conversations because it's like, you know. At the time, my band is small time. We're playing bars and breweries and wineries. Like we are not on the radio. That's what I mean. We're not a national act selling out tickets. Like how I came into their awareness, I couldn't even begin to guess.
1: You know, low hanging fruit, or somebody was you know out there with with a, with a bone to pick and brought something to their attention that.
4: Well, you know, um, it it was 2018 at the time, and you know, cancel culture was very alive and well in 2018. I've seen. Artists, you know, lose their careers based off tweets they'd made, you know, 10 years prior. Like there was, you know, that was a real part of life at one point in this country where like, you know, you were in danger of losing your ability to make money. If people in the court of public opinion decided you were X, Y, or Z.
1: Still are. Look at Johnny Depp who came out to be innocent, in that whole Amber Heard thing. And it's just like, doesn't matter now. The court, the court of public opinion. A year ago, dude lost everything. You know, all of his movie contracts and all kinds of shit. So, yeah,
4: yeah. Well, and basically, you know, I was looking that in the face. It it's like, so either I take this public, and you know, have to assert to the world that I'm not a racist, a sexist, and you know, whatever else these people are asserting about me. I have to somehow prove I'm not these things. Which is how do you, how the hell do you do that? You know, like it's an impossible task. It's like, oh, look, look you know, look at all the nice things I've done for charity or like, what do you say? So basically I was just completely unwilling to play that game. Definitely unwilling to bow down to this group and give them what they wanted, which was, you know, me to publicly grovel and apologize. And for what, for offending you? Like there's thousands of people that listen to this music with no problem, but you find it problematic. So now I owe the world an apology for things I'm not guilty of. Like I was just straight up not playing that game so I walked away from it, you know, like it was, I didn't want to, like, you know, I was in the position to record the fourth Grandpa's Cough Medicine album then and like was ready to do it. And all that stuff just got blown to the wayside, you know, to avoid controversy essentially. You know? it's, like, it's
1: it's like situations like that are like oil fires, you know, like you can't add water to it because it just makes it worse. Right. There's no putting the fire out with water. You know, it's like th- there's just like you you have to just kind of – let it take its course, and it'll settle itself. Well, and that's you know, just very unfortunate, though. Ironically,
4: when I told them, well, you know, I'm not going to apologize, and straight up, what I'm going to do instead is walk away from this whole band. If you guys think you can make these assertions about my character based off the content of this music, watch me walk away from it because I'm not doing that. And then all of a sudden, they were like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa. We didn't want you to do that. They were backpedaling. They, you know, they, really? they, they wanted really? the, they wanted the public groveling apology. That's what they wanted. They didn't want me to be like, "All right, then, no." i'm I'm, i'll walk away from all this shit and just go do something else then they weren't getting what they wanted and they started backpedaling and admitting that i made lots of people happy with my music (laughs) and like you know but that doesn't make any sense but it's like you know you you go throw around baseless accusations that are very damaging to people's careers you know and then don't understand why they would just be like fuck this like i'm not touching this with a 10-foot pole, which, you know, part of me wishes I had, part of me wishes I'd stood up for myself, part of me wishes I didn't fold, but, you know, the in, the size of this entity and the power they have, it was like I just didn't see any way that if this became a public interaction, that I didn't see any way that for me to come out on the other side looking looking uh, looking good, you know what I mean?
0: It sucks, too, because, like, even after it's all done, if you were to go that route and apologize and stuff like, that you're gonna have that thing on the on your back no matter what. Even if they're like, "Yep, he apologized, everything's good," you're still gonna have like. Well, why? You know, why an, would I apologize for mind? making music? Exactly, that's what I mean. You shouldn't have. All
4: it. I'm guilty of is making music.
0: Yeah. yeah. And
4: yeah, it might have it might have made somebody uncomfortable or been offensive to somebody, but it's not my fucking job to coddle you with my music. If you don't <laughs> like my music, don't listen to it. The... No, no one was forced at any point to listen to <laughs> Grandpa's cough medicine and they're acting like, you know, I have to apologize to the world at large for, you know, the lyrical content of these songs that they found disagreeable. And it's just frankly like fuck that and fuck you. You are not the art police, you are not the thought police. You don't get to just decide I'm x y and z things and make me apologize for them. Like this is
1: this is not how life works. I'm I'm curious as to why it it always seems to be like musicians and like now comedians have been under attack a lot too where like you made the point about you know like Quentin Tarantino and movies and stuff like that like why that medium is never attacked but but why like musicians and I'm just saying that, like you don't. That, s-
0: no, when Django came out, good lord. <laughs> but I, but, bro,
1: it's like revered as one of the greatest movies of pop culture in our time, though. Like, there's always yeah. pushback in some capacity with them, but it's never like like for instance, like like you know, just use a, a different reference in a different It's Like Eminem, in the late '90s and early 2000s, was was literally coming under attack against a conservative right because of his uh, content, you know, and it was pretty graphic stuff. But he was making the same arguments, like, these are just songs. These are just characters in songs. This isn't what I actually go out and do. So, like, to sit here and try and, like, shut me down or get my records taken off of shelves because of the content is an insane thing, and it completely violates, you know, the free speech argument that we have here in America. And I'm just curious as to why that is always the case with musicians and now comedians versus, you know, other mediums of art. It doesn't seem to have the same effect in in those Capacities, you know?
4: I don't know what the answer is as to the why, but I think, you know, it's easier to pick apart a three minute song than it is, you know, a two hour movie, perhaps, or, you know, a bit in a comedy routine that you found problematic is easier to pick apart than, you know, some of these other more extensive mediums.
1: Well, it's also because, like, we're not, like, the idea is that you're not acting either, right? It's like you're, when you're saying I or we're in a song, or you're painting a picture in a song, people are thinking like, well, you're not an actor or in a mm-hmm. bit in a comedy was like, well, you're not an actor. You are, this is a form of self-expression it's performing arts. I agree hundred percent. I'm know, just trying like, to think of like, how many know,
4: songs have I written where I, you know, destroy a girlfriend's ex lover with a chainsaw yeah. or some <laughs> such thing. And it's like, you know, the, obviously these are works of fiction. Like I'm not a murderer. I'm have zero criminal record, you know, like, it's just to make an assertion about my character based off, you know, writing a fucked up song like that is just like kind of like, well dude, do you do you understand that there's a separation between art and reality? Like I live my life completely separate from this music, you know? Like this music is a thing I make for my own and other people's enjoyment. And if you don't enjoy it, don't listen. It's really that simple. Like but so many people would like to take everything from you because you say things that they don't agree with. Or, you know, don't promote the narrative of the day or whatever it may be. You know, people think they have the right to destroy you and your ability to make income for yourself. And, you know, I think it's bullshit. It's something that needs to stop, you know. And but, you know, I, I do feel like people are getting tired of it. Like people are wise to that being a routine that gets that get people go through. And uh, I don't know. I see it working less and less. You see, they try to cancel Chappelle. They try to cancel Rogan. Like, you know, it's, it's not working out for them anymore. Like it used to. Because
1: they're, because that, that side is eating their own. And that's a problem So people are more privy to to that. It's like, it's like, I, I actually do believe it there that as a society, like, you know, I'm kind of, you know, more on, on like the, the libertarian side of things when it comes to government and all that stuff. So if it was a government doing that, I would be like, absolutely not right Mm -hmm. but i do think that that means that the the burden is to be bared by society as a whole Mm -hmm. to to call out things that are either bullshit or that have detrimental effects so i think that you know we have like like society trying to cancel people because of of the of the speech or 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 the agenda that they're trying to promote i actually don't think is a bad thing i just think that like there's got to be like a time and place for it when you start Calling people out that are quite obviously on your side because of a perspective that they might have had at one point, or even just like just purposefully misrepresenting their entire uh, perspective, then people start to see through the bullshit. And then the idea of trying to shut down somebody who's not who shouldn't be making money off promoting an ideology. Right, sure. Like Richard Spencer should not be getting rich off of white nationalism, right? So like the idea of shutting him down. I- yeah, but here's the thing is like, while I don't disagree with that statement,
4: who's deciding, like the these, the, the entity that I'm telling you about accused me of no, no. profiteering off of white nationalism as if I was playing Klan rallies or I Nazi know. rallies or, or something. Like it was, it was just the most offensive, baffling bullshit to That's me. That's what I'm saying. You it's know, like-, like, like who is the gatekeeper for deciding... You know who's naughty and who's nice. And that's the you know, problem.
1: Like, yeah, totally. That's why it falls
0: apart. Because I do like, think the guy that's actually like doing white nationalist parties and
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> maybe Richard Spencer should be shut down. No,
1: but, but the problem, <laughs> but 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 the, what what ends up happening is that people because the conversation no, is so nuanced and people have varying opinions and different lines in the sand that they want to draw. Yeah, it's like they start to you know giving everyone that that kind of platform is now like okay, well if if we can just decide as a culture, and we're not even deciding as a culture, we're deciding as one fraction of a culture with a megaphone that just gets a really, really big platform. We're just saying that now this person gets to be canceled because of a perspective that's totally flawed and misrepresented, that it becomes dangerous, and which is why now we can't even as a society decide who can't profit off of off of terrible things because they get it wrong so many times. Like attacking someone like you is insane. Attacking people like, you know, on these huge platforms like Rogan or Chappelle or even Kevin Hart, you know what I mean? When he, it's like you can't, you you do your entire uh, narrative uh, like an injustice by calling out people that are ultimately on your side. When you do that, nobody wants this this way to work anymore, you know? So then who then who does it fall on it at a certain point, you know? I don't know.
4: I, I'm of the belief that, you know, if you don't like something, don't listen to don't it. Don't listen to it, 100%. You know, it's really that easy to me. It's, uh, you know, I, no one is putting headphones on your head and being like, listen to Grandpa's Cough Medicine. Right. It has never happened in the history of things that happen. So to come after me like I'm some kind of terrible person. It's like, meanwhile, Grandpa's Cough Medicine, we played – inner city orphanages for fundraisers. We played Wolfson's Children's Hospital multiple times in the cancer ward, just playing bluegrass for children. It's like any chance I got and do get to do something good with music. I do that. I just got done teaching at Swanee kids camp over the weekend, a couple weekends ago. And it's like, you know, but now you're going to make all these assertions about my character based off the art I made as if that represents me and not all these actions that I have of, trying to put a little good back into the world trying to you know give back to what little extent i can like it just you know it it you know it it was uh very offensive to me frankly just to have these assertions made about my character when these people don't even know me made no effort to get to know me you know they literally just used the content of my lyrics like that was their only ammo on me to say all these horrible things was lyrical content of fictional pieces of art, you know. And uh I don't think that's okay, you know, like that's there's people have the right to express themselves and it doesn't have to be something you like or enjoy.
1: A hundred percent. And it
4: doesn't give you the right to destroy their reputation, you know. And it's very intellectually dishonest to start a dialogue, quote unquote, like they said they wanted to do, by destroying my reputation at two places that I've been doing business without event for years you know, and suddenly they get an email from this entity and they're like, not touching that with the 10-foot pole, which who can blame them? Like, you know, nobody wants that controversy on their business, you know? So, you know, I just think art art should be a sacred domain, you know, whether that's comedy, music, poetry, painting, sculpting, it should all be sacred because this is how people express themselves, you know? and if you're turning angry thoughts and feelings into a piece of art, like you're turning something ugly into something good at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, you know, like if I take a murderous thought in my head and put it down on paper and make it a song and now it's just a piece of art people can enjoy, that's probably a better use of a murderous impulse than (laughs) what, you know, someone else might do with such an impulse. Totally. I, I just don't understand the demonization of things that should be inconsequential art, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not a manifesto. You know what I mean? It's, it's a song.
1: Totally. Now would you say that you're bringing back grandpa's cough medicine because you're having these impulses, Brett?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, man. Uh,
4: you know, when, when somebody attacks you in the manner I got attacked, it doesn't make you less likely to make art like that. It makes you more likely to make, <laughs> yeah. like now I, I kind of want them to be horrified by the next confidence. Whose fault is it really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want them to feel like they opened Pandora's box and have, you know, done something detrimental. Aww. And that's, you know, I'm not holding back on this next record, you know, like I I just feel like at this point I have nothing to lose, you know, by just being full blast and putting things on blast that I think need to be put on blast and, you know, saying things that I think need to be said and doing it with bitch and bluegrass music going on in the background,
1: you know? Hell yeah, man. That's the way to stick it to him, honestly.
0: And Bill Clinton invented the Vicha for a reason. If you don't like it, yeah, set your parental settings. Don't listen to it. Yeah. Like, what's your, what's your big deal? Totally. You can tell, like, in five seconds if you don't like a song or not. Just turn well, it off. You know, it's like
4: the... Obviously, the the party that came after me, their convictions don't go very deep because there's whole genres of music that are based off the horrible things. They're like, you know, you could look at the genre of death metal, the genre of gangster rap. Like these are things built around sexism and drinking and drugs and murder and all the horrible things that exist in, you know, some of my music. And it's like, but these whole genres are not problematic for the world. Like my little bluegrass band that nobody's even ever heard of is, you know, the bane of your existence and has to be eliminated. Especially
1: in a genre that just historically doesn't get the kind of publicity (laughs) that other genres get, you know, it is weird. It is wild. But, but, um yeah, I mean, that's awful, man. I'm sorry that you had to go through that. and I'm, But I am excited. Well, we're glad you're back, yeah. Yeah, I am excited yeah, to see man. what comes I'm, of it. I'm happy
4: to bring it back. You know, I think all the Grandpa's Cough Medicine fans are very excited about the band coming back, and I'm excited to be dusting off all the old material for them. We've had a couple of rehearsals now for our sets at Roots Revival, and it's been really fun to, like, you know, kind of hear these songs with new ears, because I haven't played them in, you know, some of them in four or five years, you know, and to be dusting them off and playing them again with the new lineup, who I want to give a shout-out to the guys who are the new lineup. Totally, I um, was just about to ask, It's yeah. a couple of the dudes from Melted Plectrum, uh, Benny McDowell on the banjo and harmony vocals, and Rex Putnam slapping the bass and singing harmonies, too, and uh just great friends of mine. Most importantly, you know, I think you've probably ran bands long enough to know that, like, personnel and camaraderie almost matter more than musical ability, and both of these guys are impeccable musicians, so I'm not saying that to downplay their musicianship, but, like, you know the way we get along has a big influence on me wanting them in the band, you know, and, uh, you know, so I love those boys. Shout out to those guys for getting on board with me and doing this. Cause you know, I think we're going to have a lot of fun together.
1: Hell yeah, man. Well, I'm stoked to hear about all of that for sure. Um, when are you guys planning on putting the record out?
4: Uh, we're just now, you know, learning the new material and kind of arranging it. And I definitely don't want to record the songs before we've really kind of fleshed them out live a handful of times and really kind of found where they want to be, where they want to sit. You know, I think, you know, when you play songs live several times, you start to get a better feel of what it wants to be, you know what I mean? As opposed to what you may be initially envisioned or whatever. That's so,
1: so true, man. I, I kind of, man, we go back and forth all the time on this podcast about like, you know, just a studio experience versus a live experience. And, you know, I'm somebody that really values the studio experience and probably enjoy that that thing more just because of the, the end result. But I can't uh, understate enough the value of performing your songs out live and really letting them discover what they are, mm-hmm. you know, rather than... Right. Because like, you hear it one way and you're rehearsing it one way and it's like, this sounds great. But much like structuring a joke or something, really the audience interaction mm-hmm. is going to... Uh, or even just what it feels like to play the parts live in the moment, you know, it's like all of that really plays into how the song wants to flow and how, what it wants to do, you know, parts change and, you know, things get, I don't know. It's just the whole live experience of like writing a song, you know, after, after you think it's done, mm-hmm. you know,
4: yeah, no, absolutely. And like to see one kind of come to life in the live
1: setting and be
4: like, you know, that's the way we got to do it. Cause that's the way, you know, it obviously wants to go. You know, it's a valuable thing for the recording process, too, because it kind of, like, helps you work the kinks out before you get into that time crunched, you know, for, I don't know if it's the same for you, but every time I'm in the studio, I'm also thinking about the fact that I'm spending money, oh, like, yeah. I don't want to be sitting there arranging a song, you know, I want it to be ready to go, arranged, this is how it goes, we go in there and lay it down, you know, and it becomes a much more nerve-wracking experience when I kind of don't know what to do in a certain part in a song and have to figure it out as I go, so... I think, you know, the plan for me with new material is to play it live, put it out there in the live sphere. And then once I feel like it's honed in, go ahead and record the record. So I'm not rushing it. You know, I don't have a record label. I don't have any deadlines. You know, it's all going to come out of my own pocket to record it. So when when I'm good and ready, then I'm going to record an album. I mean, there's the majority of one written already. I want to, you know, there's a few more missing pieces that I'd like to put in the record, but, you know, a lot of it's written already, and I'm excited about the material.
1: Where are you planning recording it at? I don't have a plan yet. No. Okay. <laughs> well, if I, if I could make a recommendation, uh, our good friend Jacob Hudson over at Pine Studios. Yeah. Uh, great recording spot. We did one of our podcasts there last season um, when we actually interviewed him, and it's a dope spot. He's a great engineer and works a lot in, uh, um, you know, I mean, country and, you know, just various styles, but he really digs in to... to, to that kind of genre, quite a bit. So, um, anyways, Brett's been awesome having you on. Yeah, man, enjoyed it. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely, man. Uh, do bo- uh, bottom line segment, bottom line news. segment. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So we got a segment where we're doing music news. Did you- doing the news. Yeah, we're doing the news. Doing the news. Real, we're real, real news people here. Real, real Walter Cronkites, if you will. Yeah,
0: real bottom bottom lines of this. So, do a little backstory of it. So, basically, YouTube is. Fighting neck and neck. This is our topic last week, too, about YouTube versus TikTok and everything like that. But YouTube's trying real hard to keep up with uh, TikTok. And so they're letting their content creators go into their YouTube music archives and use that licensed music on their videos without getting, like, you know, uh, taken down. Uh, It's got some pretty good.
1: It sounds like a win for musicians, man. Yeah,
0: it's a pretty big win, except for. Uh, can you go down a little bit for? They haven't they,
1: signed a deal with Sony, WMG, <laughs> or uh, it, like. <laughs> Or uh, what was the other one? Uh, uh, Universal. Universal. So it's <laughs> so. like it's like three of the major labels. They they haven't they don't have contracts with so which so, TikTok does. So. I wonder.
0: So I'm just wondering like what what's gonna be available for you? Well, that's
1: cool. I mean I'm not on any of those labels, so they no could,
0: I'm yeah. not.
4: Yeah, use our music, guys. Free, Side hustle's not on there either. Feel free to put <laughs> Grandpa's cough medicine in your YouTube video. Hell yeah.
0: The the fact is like yeah we like people could start making tons of money off of this for people around the world not scared to use your stuff when uh consequence of it being taken down
1: right so, i love this for artists yeah right? absolutely YouTube, you pay youtube pays out drastically more than what TikTok or instagram pays out for. what did it
0: say up top that the revenue is going to be chris i know you're working hard over there he's doing three jobs at once uh, there you go the license license to music can keep 55 percent of the revenue or share revenue with license holders i can't remember what it was exactly but I'm not really good with uh so (laughs) again it's all tied up in real estate. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, you're rent here. Yeah, we get
1: it. (laughs) Uh, Um uh so uh I think what YouTube does is yeah, they share like forty-five percent of the revenue with the artist that's whose music is being used. At least it's how it works on ads. Mm -hmm. On YouTube shorts, they want to be 45% of revenue from ads coming there, and then on the actual content, it's like 50% so i would imagine it's a similar split on royalties coming in oh, no 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 it was twenty twenty two 22% uh for one if if the content had one song licensed piece of music yeah, in it, that's if, what it, it was. if it had more than that it was prorated and then it starts you know like 18% so if it has like you know multiple pieces of uh music in the one piece of content then it it starts to go down a little bit but still i mean like 18 versus what what's TikTok's thing—it's like,
0: like nothing. Yeah, like, like literally nothing. It's like <laughs> no. I think you do get some music or some money if they use your sound or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's just like it's China. What are they? What are you gonna do? Go collect it from? Them? Uh,
1: yeah, no, they pay. Out, they do pay out their artists. The, the TikTok is famously good for doing that. Well, I haven't seen least. a dime yet. So well, it's, no one's used our music. So because we haven't
3: made a dime. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. Yeah. What are you gonna do.
1: I'm actually curious about that too because we looked up what content creators make on TikTok. It's virtually nothing. But we didn't yeah. see. We haven't seen it what, was, what I artists. I looked it up make.
0: today because we had a post that went viral. Believe it or not, I can't believe it. Uh, but it's three cents per 1,000 views
1: on the content creator side. Yes, yes. I'm talking about as far as the artist. Can't goes, be much more. I don't know. <laughs> or if,
0: more. It's got to be free like one cent.
1: I don't know. I think they they're, they famously pay out more than most social media platforms three, do. three
0: three cents for a 1,000 views versus Spotify, which is like half of a tenth of a penny for every 1,000 yeah, views. That's,
1: that's changing now, though, too. We can talk about that on another news yeah, segment, but it's changing.
0: But anyways, yeah. So that's, there's the news. Everybody knows now. What do you think, Brett? Has, YouTube's getting bigger.
4: I mean, I look at that as someone who puts music out and licenses it for YouTube and stuff. Like, you know, if someone uses my song in their video that costs me nothing and potentially increases my you know streaming revenue or whatever so i'd say that's a win you know like hell yeah feel free
1: go ahead totally especially if we're Getting paid off your content that we hadn't we had to do nothing yeah, for yeah exactly zero effort zero <laughs> effort on
4: my part for you to use a product I put out you know five years ago that's 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 a win 100%. all right because our
0: contract with Sony's ending <laughs> okay. pretty soon right so I, I don't know when this starts but I think we should start seeing a little bit of money from it yeah you know okay. what I mean <laughs> sure yeah. but, might be
4: able to buy an extra vape a year or something yeah an extra
0: vape a <laughs> yeah. year at least tip the guy you know what I mean. <laughs>
1: Let's uh, wrapped up this segment. This is a uh, bottom bottom line news. Bottom line it's our news new segment. We finally got a name for it and mean, everything. We will to have
0: the uh, do do um, we'll,
1: fit, we'll add that in post. Uh, yeah,
3: definitely.
0: Oh, cool! I can see all your notes. This is dope. Oh
3: yeah, uh. still going
1: on. Uh, boom story. <laughs> yeah, boom that's a good story, one. Dave. That's gonna be a great clip, by the way. I love that.
0: All right, and our final segment for the evening is unpopular opinions. That's right. Yeah.
1: Uh Bill, you can, as usual, go first. On I'll this go one.
0: first on this. I'm surrounded by three guitarists right here. there we sure. go, but acoustic guitarists here, so maybe you won't be as angry as <laughs> them when I say this out loud, but uh uh, my unpopular opinion today is I don't um I'm sorry, what uh, turn your amp down. nobody cares about the tone of your guitar, <laughs> like nobody cares. <sighs> just turn it down, man, such.
1: <laughs> ignorant thing to say no one cares that's just not true it is true it's not
0: it is I
1: it's, mean, i don't have to
4: turn up to get good tones that's
0: though. what i mean yeah so acoustic yeah uh, it's out
4: i want to be on your team
1: just to create controversy
0: <laughs> okay here we go boys it's supposed to be in a 5 yeah, it, but I'm it's so sick of factually it
2: actually <laughs> incorrect
1: though because it, there's literally if i have a 50 watt amplifier oh
2: no, no no
0: that
1: nobody cares no 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 I'm saying
4: <laughs> he's about to give us a very technical
1: explanation of why he has
4: to turn up very loud. Okay. No, no,
1: because it. I'm uh, like typically engineers have to tell me to turn up because I'm very self-conscious about the volume on Good stage. but wrong. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's just not true. So <laughs> what? What? So what? Uh, the what the issue is is that okay? I have a 22 watt amplifier that I typically play out of this is the Fender Deluxe Reverb. Shout out! I'll, I'll expect an endorsement after this, Um and. Uh, I will turn the volume up to between four and five in most settings that are not uh, most settings, even at a bar, I will, because once a band kicks in, it sounds pretty even keel. But um, the reason why I do that is because if I turn it below four, it sucks all of the all of the body out of the tone. So you're getting a very thin, papery kind of sound that doesn't cut through at all, especially when you have you know drums and bass behind you. Uh, and then keys as well on the same kind of frequency range. So it gets buried. There's nothing there. You need the the full spectrum of frequencies in order to, to for to have the beef that it has that people love about guitar solos and stuff. It's like, they do care. They might not know that they care Nobody or why cares. they care, but they Nobody do cares, care. Nobody cares
0: first off, except for like other guitarists that are like, just like going to town and your tone. Oh no, fuck not at all. Tone, dude. But, Incorrect. All right. Then two, two caveats to that. Uh, uh, then, uh, guitar amps are garbage. Then they're stupid. Eddie Van Halen, <laughs> like they're so dumb. Like Eddie
1: Van Halen probably kept his volume at, at zero. Oh, and then also, yeah. And then, like, also, also, uh, yeah, and then, reason, like right?
0: just, just semicolons and addendum to this unpopular opinion. You're not Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> Turn down.
2: First all, I
1: wouldn't
2: but want to be. Yeah, him. But okay,
0: but here's the last it's part of this. If you really but... need to hear your tone that well, then every guitarist should have their amp pointed right at them on stage, because that's just. Bullshit just again like it's bullshit like like you just a, want you're just like just it's like a, a guitar dildo on stage uh, it's how uh, loud can you make it so everybody's looking at you yeah
1: see the thing is that what, what, you're, true. what you're saying right now is conscious contra- is different than what you were saying as your unpopular opinion what because what you're saying is your unpopular opinion is that nobody cares nobody cares what, what you're saying right now is that it actually makes no difference and there's a big difference in how the tone actually comes through the speaker at no. that point and also how sound travels uh somebody who should know this so is stupid. that if i put my that's... amplifier directly behind me no 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 i'm saying in front of you oh i hate that... i hate hearing my no, no, no. Cu- i hate hearing my guitar from everybody else
0: does too no they don't <laughs> that's <laughs> what i'm trying to say no, you don't need to turn it up no no you're
1: right they hate hearing... buried you right there they hate hearing <laughs> it when they sell out fucking amphitheaters and stadiums they hate hearing the guitar come from them from in front of them right they all want the guitar coming from the back of them in those scenarios or what are you talking about i'm talking about the guitarist their amp
0: is going to be right in front of them on stage so that you can hear your tone real well.
1: No. See? That's what I'm trying to say. Why not? Because I don't want it coming from that direction. That's, I want it coming from behind me. Yeah, see? Yeah, you're backpedaling now. Not at all. It yeah. has nothing to do with... It doesn't mean anything. I feel like I'm in the middle of a band dispute. Yeah, yeah this, this is what happens all the time. That's because that's just
0: what he does. He'll, he'll be front and center stage, and then he's like, I need to have the guitar amp behind me where you are. And I'm like, why? And it's like, because it just... I need it there, and then he cranks up to eleven because you're so
1: far in front of
0: it. Your ears go this way. You get ear. You get not from behind you. So just put your guitar amp in front of you. Everybody wins. Or turn down.
1: I don't need to say <laughs> any, like, like everything that you're saying is, is 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 you're digging your own hole here. No, i But what do you think? It's Brett? not a
0: popular opinion, but whatever.
4: I mean, you, you played know, through amplifiers. back Yeah, in the day. I have, and uh, you know, I definitely. I feel like when a guitar solo sounds good, I never like "ooh that tone." That but when I, when well. the tone sucks, I do say your guitar tone sounds like shit. You know, yeah. so there is a difference between just being well pleased with the sound of a guitar because you don't have to think about it because it sounds good, versus like it kind of irking you the whole set because the guitar tone is just shitty. So, you know, I I, I will always side with guitar players that just want to sound their best. You know, but it can get somewhat obnoxious when you just have to keep inching that volume knob up. You know, as someone who, especially as someone who might be playing an acoustic instrument on stage with a loud band, it's like eventually this this thing shouldn't even be up here with you guys because you're too
1: loud. Totally. You know? And the guitar players will know this because uh, mm-hmm. this is just known amongst guitar players. A, a 22-watt amplifier that's kind of that's set between four and five on the amp is not... Super loud. Yeah, it's like, not a Marshall half stack. It's the, we're, it, yeah, that, which would be like 100 watts right there. Right. If we're turning that at half volume, then I get your point. Or even like a Twin Reaver, which is 75 watts. Yeah. Like if you have that so at half volume, volume that's insanity. And like, yeah. there's no Because in order to get the tone, you <laughs> need to be that loud, but that's too loud. Mm-hmm. A 22-watt amp between 4 and 5 volume is not really that loud at all. It's just, you know, it's whatever. But What would you uh, call,
0: what would you call that, to-
1: uh, that tone? Loud. It sounds it's, loud. So it's <laughs> beefy. <laughs> powerful. You, you, you play an acoustic electric though, right? Good. And you play. And if you're playing at a venue, I have or something, an internal
4: microphone in mine, so there's no yeah. like transducer pickup sound. It's still like a mic, you know.
1: Right, right, right.
4: I mean, in bluegrass, you're trying to get the most natural sound you can, and you know, I can get a little more stage volume with the internal mic than I could off one that I'm just like stuffing in front of me. So right. And it gives me the freedom of not being tethered to a microphone, you know, but uh, you know, and bluegrass, you want your, if you have a really nice guitar, which shout out to Preston Thompson guitars, I endorse them and use one of their boxes. And it's my favorite guitar I've ever owned. And uh, you know, it's like you spend a lot of money on a really nice instrument. You want it to sound like your instrument, not like a shitty electric representation
1: of your, right, right, your right. instrument,
4: you know, and you know, acoustic pickup technology has come a long way where you can get a really accurate representation of your guitar, you know? And I don't know, it's just different, you know? The stage volume for a bluegrass band is probably one-third of what you guys are used to, having drums and amps and a bass. Like, you know, it's just, you don't have to be as loud on the stage because there's not all these loud things to compete with, you know?
1: Totally. Yeah, I would almost liken it to... to like when you turn on a television, and then you put like the the, the coloring like like all the way down, and you watch the TV like that. It's like you don't need all those colors, bro. It doesn't need to be that bright. Just watch it with with the color all the no. way down, and then just take it in like that. It's like that was an awful analogy. No, it's the same thing. No, actually, there's
2: nothing like it, really. No, there
1: is.
4: Maybe maybe <laughs> keyboard players are just bad because they're not in control of their tone at all. That's true. Like that. That's yeah. totally untrue.
0: No, that's I true. I control my tone with so many knobs, and I doesn't have to I've be loud. It'll be the same knobs. tone no matter what. Yeah, I got all the knobs in the world. What's up? Uh,
1: okay, so let me go to my grandfather Probably my best one. It's just like just unpopular. It's crazy. That's it doesn't make point. any sense at all. Okay. Um so my unpopular opinion this year this year this week <laughs> um is that uh, uh country rap is a terrible fad that has to go away. much. Didn't, didn't it already go Fuck away? Yeah. Like what else? is it still going on? <laughs> oh yeah. What I can't even name you that- any artist because I just I I just purposefully it, like avoid it like the plague. But holy shit, it has got to be the most pandering dude,
4: bullshit. I, I feel like the most, some of the most angry I've been recently listening to music that was unfamiliar to me. I was at a gig and they put on house music at the gig. And then I just hear this asshole start rapping <laughs> about how country he is. He is rapping yeah. about how country he is. And I'm like, dude, I don't think you've fucking heard country music before. Because yeah, of this or rap for that matter. It. You know what I mean? Like, I wish the ghost of Hank Williams would come and beat your head in with a bat. Yeah. this, This shit is that horrible. And, like, you know, there's just some things that do not need to be. And country rap is one of them, as far as I'm concerned. It's like, you know, country music used to have this beautiful, long tradition of like great singers and songwriters and pickers and musicians. And now, when you say country music, that's the shit people think you mean. And that sucks to me because, you know, when I think of country music, I think of Merle Haggard and Hank Williams and Johnny Cash and Marty Robbins and these artists that could sing and write and play and just touch your heart, you know, and now it's like, you know, these dudes rapping and it's just like, it's, it's a huge tarnish on the tradition of country music to me, you know?
1: Yeah. and, And I also feel like, cause you know, I'm also a big fan of hip hop and to me it does.
3: hick hop. That's so great. Hic-hop. Please call it by its real name. That's oh, our so word, so all right? That's our <laughs> word. for the rest of the H- interview. H- hick hop. I like, thought everybody
0: H- called it crap, country rap. Oh, <laughs> I like that
4: too. Tractor rap.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, you, but like I'm waiting for this new Hank Williams remix. This is going to fucking slap.
1: I can't because <laughs> the pro, the thing is is like look at as as social media has uh you know helped artists of various genres breach, uh, different cultures and, 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 you know, the, the intermingling of different, uh, cultural things is great. Um, and I'm sure that there's a way where hip hop and, and, and country can find a nice middle ground to create something nice. Um, this isn't it. This sounds like the most pandering bullshit I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. It's like, like there's, there was rappers back like a long time, like Lil White who rapped with three, six mafia and all that stuff. Like he did some like very, like he would rap about like very like redneck kind of scenarios and do it with like a twang that was almost like very like backwoods Southern, but also a little bit like urban too, because he was from Memphis and like, they kind of have the best of both worlds. So it's kind of like he did it in a way that was like, Okay, And also wasn't like a pop star. So it didn't come off as pandering. It was like, this is what you've experienced and this is Mm kind of cool. Right. But then there's a way of like talking about like like the culture of of being a southerner and then like the music, but then also like rapping in a way that like we're I don't know, just it's so pandering. It just comes off as so inauthentic. I hate it. Well, dude, the thing is, is like
4: you know, none of these guys wrote their own songs. Like somebody wrote your rap part for you, and then you know, you basically tried your hand at rap in the studio for the first time, and someone was like, "Sounds good," you know. Like it's musically void of any real feeling or anything that I value in music. You know, like it's just, it's just, it's just manufactured bullshit. Yeah, and it's what they push on us on the radio as if it's what we want, and you know record sales say different, you know, you look at the record sales of someone like Sturgill Simpson or Ch- Tyler Childers, yeah. people that they're not actively playing on the radio most places. It's like, this is the country music people want to consume. And you guys will not give it to them because you keep shoving this tractor wrap horse shit down our throats. Hiccup. You know?
1: Hiccup. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You know, <laughs> and I just call it terrible.
4: You know, like, like there's, there's two types of music. Good and bad, you know, and that's definitely bad music. There's
0: two types of music, good and bad. Yeah, 100%. I love it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, I'm glad we're all on the same page with that one. Yeah. Unless, Gilly, do you want to come to the defense of hip hop? Old Town Town Road's pretty good. Uh, Anyways, okay. If you say so, brother. Uh, (laughs) So, Brett, you got any unpopular opinions for us? Oh, man. You know, I've got a lot, but. You got, bro, we're in a safe space right now. No, we're not. (laughs) We never are.
0: The internet is forever.
1: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's for sure.
4: Okay. Um, you know, here's an unpopular opinion. Girls on Tinder who have in their bio about how much they value honesty and authenticity and things of that nature. And then every picture is a filter. (laughs) Uh, That's that to me is the ultimate sign of someone who is not self-aware and,
1: 100%. buying their own bullshit. I can imagine that, yeah. I haven't had... To, uh, I've been in a relationship for the last eight years, so I've never done the dating oh, apps. Oh, good but, for you. Yeah. <laughs> I but I will say that I can only imagine that that must be quite a well, struggle. Or, or It's just, not a struggle
4: anymore. It's just like you just learn. It's like if all their pictures are filtered,
1: no thanks. Yeah.
4: Yeah, 100%. There's some dishonesty happening here, and I'm not going to investigate to find out to what extent
1: it goes. It always happens with a dishonesty, right? There's Before that, there was like Chicks just like, you know, putting on a bunch of makeup, guys drawing beards to hide certain, you know, things like, like, there's just there's always a level of like, putting on a face or like, something that's not necessarily like 100% real Three kids standing on their shoulders
0: under a trench coat.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: that kind of like, I
1: mean, I wouldn't I, I don't think anyone's ever tried to really pull that off as a real uh, only once.
2: <laughs> 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 no, but. I
1: met I met my girlfriend
0: online, actually, through a dating app. I can't remember which one it was because I signed up for all of them. And that was like two years ago. And, whew, man, that was a rough you know, time. I've,
4: I've sworn them off at this point, actually. I yeah. Sometimes I it's not, w- that's not the arena a dude like me wins in. You know, like, I'm not going to win the handsome picture contest. But, like, you know.
1: Have you tried holding a fish in a picture? Or maybe... Hanging outside of a, the the window of a pickup truck in yeah. a picture no. that seems to work real well for most guys. My girlfriend, my girlfriend, seems like I, pandering to yeah. me. Also. Yeah, <laughs> but she
0: said she said the only reason that she picked me is because I was the only guy not holding a fish. Yeah,
1: there I've you seen go. A
4: lot of girls complaining
1: about the fish pictures. So Have like, you tried? What's up with all these dead fish? Yeah. Have you tried quoting your favorite hiccup hop song? Hiccup. No. No. Well, maybe we need to start stepping the game up a little bit, boys. Let me curate I don't your your Tinder. Pl- uh, pages for you. I will get you I don't some, I don't some... have any more, man. My yeah. phone is
4: free of dating apps right That's now what's and up. I'm I'm happy about it.
1: That's yeah. a is it weird like 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 when you meet a woman on a dating app is it weird like meeting up with them in that kind of, for the first time under that kind of pretense? It's oh, like a, it sucks. Like it's, like an, it's like it's yeah. like an interview,
4: you know what I mean? It's, it's not nice. even it's not even like let's get to know each other. It's like straight up like an interview sometimes is what it feels like. Yeah. It's just like, you know, four questions into an interview, I'm usually losing interest pretty fast. I'm like, all right. Well, you know, you're looking for this very specific set of criteria, and finding out if I fit in your box or not, and frankly, I'm not the kind of guy who's like, that's that doesn't interest me. Like that process, it's just like, all right, and, you know. And like I said, that's not where a dude like me wins, you know, on a dating app of handsome picture contest. You know,
0: put over six feet, you win. Like, what you no, talking? see, what that's you I, I had another friend just recently <laughs> say that
4: he's like, no, bro, you're tall. You just have to put your tall. And I'm like, dude, that's not how it works. And I was like, straight up, show me your list of matches. As a shorter fella that's quite handsome, shout out to my buddy Joey. He's a handsome bastard. Shout out to Joey. But anyway, uh he shows me and he's just got like this, you know, mile long list of broads. I'm like, dude, if I showed you mine when I had I had like three matches in there. That was like over the course of a month. Being tall doesn't mean shit. Like, yeah. Yeah. like you know, it's not you know Short I Kings, play I play in a band, I play right music. Now. Like that's that's where a guy like me wins is just talking to women in public, you know. After getting off stage, that's the the natural place for me to meet a gal. It's I'm like I just got to show off what I can do, and now I'm semi interesting to you. So let's have a real conversation that's not an interview, you know? Right. On
0: my profile, it said that I worked at Side Hustle. Like, I was in a band called Side Hustle, but like Carrie thought that I, I was just like. Always oh, just like You, you know, have a side hustle I have a side hustle And he's like he, He's kind of a musician Or something like that <laughs> That's so funny <laughs> Or you know what I mean Just doesn't But I thought that was hilarious Yeah I'm just like No my band name is Side hustle <laughs> Uh
1: no, I, I never used to list My band name on there
0: Yeah
1: yeah. yeah. Oh, did you list your band name On Tinder or whatever Like I
0: said uh, Where, where do you work at Side hustle
1: It's funny Probably,
0: but- probably not at the greatest thing To put on there, but it worked out in the end.
1: I uh, suckered my girlfriend into being with me after meeting her at at a jam session down south. That's where you win, right? Uh, Well, she thought so, anyways, and then she got to know me. It was too late by that point; (laughs) I already Mm. had her all wrapped up. (laughs) But uh, she she knew. But but, classic catfish. Yeah, exactly. It's like the guitar catfish. Because because you think that I'm talented, you also think I'm like a great person, and (laughs) boy, were you wrong. Eight years later, here we are, guys. Hey so. man, you must have been you must be doing something uh, all right. Yeah, I'm doing a lot of work on myself, I'll say that much. But uh Hey
4: man, you got to. Yeah. You know? Totally. You're, you spend your twenties being an asshole and realize that like it's time to tighten up. You know? Yeah,
1: totally, totally. Um, well, this has been a great interview, man. Thank you so much for coming on Grand, the show. Appreciate the chance. It's been Hell fun. Yeah. Hell yeah. So um we'll see you guys next time. Make sure you check out everything Brett's got going on, grandpa's cough medicine. Uh so you don't have a release date yet for for the album, but you're working on it. No,
4: but, man, uh, the fans have really been listening to the old stuff a lot, I think, since uh, I announced that it was coming back. So I just thank you to everybody that, you know, spins that stuff on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music. Like, it's, it's on all the streaming platforms. You can use it in your TikTok videos if you
1: so desire. So, Hell yeah. appreciate the support. Hell oh yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see
2: you next time. Adios, muchachos.